Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Grim Dark Tales, the podcast edition. I'm joined once again by the awesome Noel. Hello, Spark. Hello, awesome Noel. <laughs> um, that's becoming a bit of a trademark, I would say. Yeah, I'd say uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today uh, we're taking another um, little traipse through the Tau Codex, and in this episode we thought that we would cover one of the only remaining options in the book, um, the HQ data sheets. Uh, once again, we'll be going just from front to back through the section here and talking about each option as we go through. Uh, what we like about them, fluff-wise, crunch-wise, everything, and uh, how much we use them, how much we think maybe they have some viable strategy that we've never utilized. Uh, we've ha we've come across a couple surprises so far, I think, and and we've also seen, I think, how similarly we think about the Tau, even though we have uh, pretty disparate army types. But um, that being said, I think it's it's really exciting to see how someone else can think up how to use this book. And not every codex, I think, has as many diverse options as the Tau codex has proven to have in our discussion. But uh, it's really, I think, exciting and refreshing that the book is so diverse and uh, that Tao playstyles can be as diverse as they are, as we demonstrate with our two different playstyles. Mm. Um, so anyway, let's just uh, jump into it here. We can go into the first option, and that is Commander Shadow Sun, the legend herself. Yeah. Uh, um, what a beast she is. <laughs> yeah, she certainly is. Uh, Noel, what do you what do you think about Commander Shadowson? Okay, uh, well, fluff wise, um, I know some people consider her a bit of a Mary Sue um, mm. after Damocles' um, Crusades. Mm. Uh, in all honesty, I really love the storyline behind her. Um, she's had quite a bit of background written about her, um, down to kind of like the early days where. Uh, you know, um, it, basically, she was literally the last of Kiru's line, and you know, um, she had a sister who um, died on the front, um, mm -hmm. and um, you know, before she kind of like became this great kind of you know paragon for the empire and the greater good. Um, I love the she's the I don't know she's almost possibly the fiercest out of the two named characters, well, the, the, the two named commanders that you can mm -hmm. kind of be field. Um, I know that, um, you know, traditionally you'd have kind of, you know, Farsight being the kind of, you know, the angry one, as it were. But, yeah. you know, from j just the law, has, law itself, I mean, there's a real cold fury in her that just, I don't know, it's, it's just so appealing and just makes it great to read when there's kind of anything about her in the fluff. Um, the fact that she's got this great um, uh, ongoing battle as well um, with uh, the new Pomeris 
Corsorica. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just because um, they've kind of, they're, they're almost this uh, two, ma- well, they are, they're like two masters of the hunt, really. Yeah. So um, the fact that they've kind of, you know, played this cat and mouse game over, you know, war zones and battlefields and, you know, they, and they all of them are kind of, you know, just outfoxing each other at the last minute. And um, I think it's a great um it makes for great storytelling and um, it'll be interesting to see how uh, now he's all primary up, how that will affect um, when he obviously uh, tries to go and try and collect a head at a later stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's the, I mean, law wise, I just, I, I just love it. I mean, she's probably one of the highlights to read about with um, Tauf Love just cause um, she's got such a great presence really. Um, and even, you know, just offshoots that have gone through with, say, the fourth sphere expansion where um, there was Swift Strike, which was uh, kind of Commander Shadow Sun's um, second in command uh, during the mm-hmm. Um, You know, there's, um, like I say, just, just, just beautiful storylines and, you know, threads within that are just being, you know, slowly weaved and, 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 and built on. Um, in game, um, I don't actually own her, but I've seen her and played against her, you know, uh, quite and quite a few games. Mm-hmm. And um, she's an absolute powerhouse. And it might not seem it on the stats, but the buffs that she gives uh, can be just incredible. Um, I mean, she's no slouch herself with an eight-inch move. Um, obviously, she's not quite as punchy in close combat, but that's not really where you want her anyway. Right. right. Um, but you know, with um, you know, five wounds, uh, four attacks, three up save, and ridiculous invulns plus being able to kind of you know obviously with drones all the rest would be able to bump the wounds across the blatives um she's um yeah she, she's surprisingly tanky um i found in game um yeah. and obviously having two fusion blasters where she basically you know just pops pop stuff for days is um is never is, is never a bad thing um and her, but, but it is it's it's her abilities and her rules that kind of you know really make her stand out um i mean so obviously well we're going to come to it later but she's got the flip side to the the monk car which is the cow yon, um which is her thing uh the patient hunter so um i mean obviously when she's on the field you can declare it twice um in game which is never a bad thing uh right. you know just being able to kind of you know, stay still but just really make that firepower count um is no bad thing um the fact that she has five pinball um which you, you know is never a bad thing and the camouflage fields as well uh so very similar to the ghost kills in the, the fact that you know com- combined with the drones uh she you know they have a minus two to hit she also gets a minus one to hit um and that inclu- and, and that basically um includes her drones as well uh command drones so i mean um that means that for say lesser armies uh well not i say lesser armies <laughs> but for mm-hmm. armies not quite so uh reliable firepower so guard yeah. um uh guard um orcs uh necrons um you know that minus one can really hurt Mm-hmm. Um, so I find that a great thing. The fact that she can infiltrate is amazing as well. Mm-hmm. So you can you can be really aggressive with her up front, um, and the defender of the greater good ability as well. So 
basically, yeah, um, with that, it's uh, you would take, I mean, traditionally, you'd kind of like take her with other stealth suits. So right. uh, she'd be that commander for your um, infiltrators, that kind of, you know, slapping them up front um, and harassing them from, from, from basically uh, square one. Yeah. It's a really good thing. And the fact that she can then also essentially use stealth suits as a bodyguard. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's that ablative and, you know, almost leapfrogging um, of ablative wounds you can do if you play it savvy enough. Is uh, Yeah, it's just an awesome thing. Uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I mean, the only other things kind of obviously it says a command link drone. Uh, which is kind of, you know, contributes to one of hers, um, mm-hmm. which allows kind of, you know, re-rolls one, um, which kind of, you know, is okay. Um, to be fair, that's not it's not the greatest thing in the world, but in a clutch situation, it can be, just in case you're running out of marker lights, for example. Um, yeah, but, you know, um, I find more often than not just um, how I've seen her played and played against her. It's always been with... Um, a real stealth um, vanguard kind of unit, really, that just basically is right up in your grill, uh, turn one, kind of, you know, in range of all the guns. And um, they're just basically kind of like firing and fading, and you're kind of like you're almost drawing them out to the rest of your army, mm-hmm. uh, which I find a great tactic and so fluffy as well. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just absolutely love her. Um, the only thing I obviously would like to see an improvement, if I'm being really picky, is the fact that she's still flying cast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course. We want to see her and the next model after her in the codex here get updates. Um, I actually love both of the models of uh, Shadow Sun and, and Farsight. But, yeah, they need to be turned into plastic because we want to buy them. Yeah, um, yeah, this is true. And while while kind of you know they're both some of my favorite uh, models to look at. Um, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, despite owning Farsight, I mean, I'd buy another one in a heartbeat if it was plastic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I know the feeling. I mean, I there are so many models that you know I bought out of desperation, but if they converted to plastic, I would just buy them again. I mean, it would be worth having them be that higher quality and know I can pick them up and they're not going to maybe just break or fall apart. Mm, um, yeah. <laughs> it's a great feeling. Yeah, um, it's true. We don't have to treat it with kick gloves quite so much. Um, yeah. But, I mean, what about yourself? I mean, how have you found her when you've kind of, I mean, have you played with her or kind of against her? Yeah, so I've never played the Tau Empire, like the, you know, the Tau Sept. Mm-hmm. Um, which she is a part of, and that is, I think, an important part of identifying y- her use as far as the context she can be used in. Um, I think the Tao Empire is probably the strongest of the sects as far as like just rules go, mm-hmm. um, and it's not just their sept rule uh, with their enhanced greater good and overwatch and stuff it's it's also um the fact that they have access to most of the characters in this book yeah um so which i find a bit of a shame and almost yeah. being the ball a little bit because um 
you know they release these they release actual rules for all these different sets uh, you'd imagine kind of you know in the law that you know a lot of these commanders would actually you know not just be with the tau sets they would also you know go and uh, support other other areas in the empire so as such kind of you know they would uh, not just be um you know hanging around kind of you know the tau set cadres they would kind of you know be able to you know basically take command of other of the set worlds and kind of you know lead them into battle yeah, um, yeah. so yeah i mean it's, it's it's dropping the ball a bit um but it's yeah it's kind of splitting hairs but when it's when it's just one hq choice mm-hmm. you can kind of almost forgive it when it's right. a good chunk in um in, in in this codex i'd say that would be the one thing that kind of yeah, it's uh, the codex kind of lacks in versatility, which yeah. is yeah. you know being able to take those main characters, um, you know, um, just you know, um, and be able to do that without kind of you know having to tie yourself into just Tau Sept um, itself. Um, you know, it does make it limiting to a degree. Yeah, I, I think you know, I, I give I think I give GW credit for the fact that this codex brings so much more to the table anyway with like the new sept rules and stuff um that i give them sort of the benefit of the doubt that maybe the next time around that they're going to get a codex update or beyond that they'll start getting characters that belong to those other septs Mm -hmm. um and maybe that'll give you a bit more opportunity to use like named characters or maybe they'll expand the like create a character system from like you know the enhancing your own warlord rules from chapter approved or you know they're doing the um create your own space marine chapter now in the new space marine codex Mm. um i think the more and more flexibility they give players in in regards to that um and it started sort of as lowly as like you could design your own land raider with like the first chapter approved from eighth edition or whatever yeah um and now it's expanded quite a bit to like they're willing to give you the reins you know uh, i think early on experimentation might have been like the free blade system with the imperial knights yeah um and then now they're doing allowing you to do your own chapter tactics which i think all of that is amazing and great for the game um and offers a lot of creativity and i think it hopefully is leading towards a path where we're going to get even more ability to sort of like fine craft our own characters that are really unique and maybe expand like the in the case of this book anyway the signature systems range Mm -hmm. um things like that extra warlord traits and you know maybe they'll turn septs each sept into a supplement or whatever and have there be enough content to make it worth doing that um the same with like I don't know, Eldar Craft Worlds, Astro Militarum Regiments, all the different options that they have to do that. I mean, that's an enormous amount of books to think about. And mm-hmm. I know that the Space Marines are like the mascots, so I shouldn't assume that whatever they get goes to everyone else. But I think that GW is always moving towards like giving players enhanced flexibility in creating their own unique armies. Um, and I think that with 8th Edition's sort of overhaul, you know, they had to bring things back to basics with the indexes, but I feel like the codexes have brought a lot more flavor even than a lot of these armies ever had. So, mm. um, 
it's just really exciting. It's a really exciting time, I think, to be in the hobby and to see the tools that GW is sort of giving us as players um, in an official capacity where we don't have to like house rule our own armies and stuff. Yeah, um, I'd agree with that, and I'd, I'd argue that now with the, I mean, having recently just read through the, um, I know this is a segue away from Tau, but that's okay. Having um, having read the recent um, Space Marines decks myself, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd argue almost that they've just never had it so good. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, not 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 just within the rules, but I mean, finally, because I mean, you know, they are the poster boys, mm-hmm. um, and you know, they've always extolled for the longest time, kind of, you know, oh, you know, you create your own chapter, you know, there's a reason why there's a thousand chapters and only about you know seven of them are ever listed, barring right. a few kind of you know um, you know famous successors, you know, at least hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of chapters kind of unnamed, and that was always the point to kind of you know so you can create your own. Uh, right, right. and make it your own as well um and while you could always do that fluff wise um i mean finally you've got you've got an ability to really put that character and depth on the tabletop as well yeah. um, um and i'd love to see that extend to the other races um in some capacity even if it's not supplements throughout um or you know even if it's just a few of the supplements kind of you know like uh you know, like even going back down to kind of how it was in seventh, where you got homunculus covens for Dark Elder, or you know, you had like a few of the craft worlds, um, yeah. their own. Yeah, I mean, just 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 things like that. I would love to see. I can think of you nothing but good for the hobby, uh, yeah. and really just you know, just introducing just so much more flavor. Um, so yeah, I, I I hope you know, good job, GW. Um, keep up the good work and yeah make it happen for everything everyone else as well yeah that's awesome love to (laughs) yeah that's that's exactly how i feel and luckily i feel like that's the kind of advice they're actually taking now and and they are moving towards and i don't know how long it will be but i do i i imagine that we'll start to see that level of minute um list crafting and and hero crafting that I think we all really crave the, those of us who let, love to personalize our armies and those of us who are maybe less competitive players. I mean, I think competitive players can definitely like always build lists from a narrative standpoint if they like that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I know Lawrence at Tabletop Tactics like adores the, the fluff of an army. So he doesn't, even though he's an, an amazing competitive player, Mm. He always builds around an idea that he has in his head for the army, and I really admire that. Um, yeah. But but not everyone's like that, and and I think that's fine. You know, the hobby is what you make it, and I think there are plenty of people who play this game mm. strictly from a competitive standpoint, and they just sort of buy their plastic real quick, uh, and then the meta shifts, and they're on to another army. Maybe they sell their existing one, mm. um, and that would sort of drive me insane. But that is the way that some people enjoy playing this. And I don't fault anyone for the way that they enjoy the hobby. I think it's okay to be like that as long as you're not, you know, making it worse for other people. Um, Just know your scene, know your crowd, um, and everything's going to be good. But anyway, I haven't really even spoken about Shadowson yet. (laughs) Um, So uh, all of that was a long-winded thing just to say basically Shadowson is part of the Tau Sept. And it's important to note that that is a technically, technically it's a limitation of you only being able to play Tau Sept if you want to use her. Mm. Um, now, 
I don't think that's a much of a limitation. As I said, Tao sort of is bogarting the special characters situation. Um, <laughs> other than, you know, Commander Farsight, I don't think there are any other named characters that are necessarily like anyone who's pulling their hair out, not being able to take if they're Tao Empire. Oh, I don't um, think it's putting their hair out, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and, and um, I think that Shadow Sun is an incredible tabletop option. Um, I've never played Tau Empire myself, but I've played against them. Um, uh, my buddy Rick, who you followers of the channel should know, um, he played Tau before he went in deep on the chaos stuff. And he played in, he started in seventh edition, so he had sort of a nondescript Tau army. Uh, but he used Shadow Sun, and he used Shadow Sun pretty much in every game, and he always gave her sort of that stealth suit bodyguard thing. Mm-hmm. And um, in 8th edition, I feel like she really, really excels. Um, the two fusion on her, I mean, I know you can, like, deck out a standard Tau commander with four fusion, and he still has the two-up ballistic skill, and that's great. But... I think that her two fusion is like a perfect balance of her still being a super valid, um, hard hitting unit on the table, um, while also being an incredibly important like buffing commander. Mm. Uh, the fact that you can do Kion twice, or I think even more flexibly, which is cool, you can do Monka and Kion. Yeah. Um, and. Uh, I think that it's so cool that you have the option to either do both or to do two turns of Kion. I mean, like that's insane mm. um, given the benefit of that rule. And, and really they both can be depending on how you're playing your, your army. So I think that that benefit alone sort of like already just makes her worth her points. Um, and then on, yeah. And then on top of that, she really is a super hard-hitting character. I mean, there aren't too many characters that have two 18-inch Melta-guns on them mm-hmm. that hit on twos. And in addition to that, are, are like highly mobile and have all these area buffs and make your army just better overall. Especially mm-hmm. um, you kind of couple it with, um, I mean, the fact that because all it takes is one marker light and you're re-rolling, you know, ones anyway. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's just like, you know, with a minimal of effort, you're pretty much guaranteeing, you know, you're hitting with two, two fusion. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that combined with our stealth abilities and be, be able to, be, you know, ablatively pass stuff off to um, XC8s, uh, sorry, yeah. eights, um, sorry. Yeah, it's actually a really, really powerful thing. Um, yeah. especially in this edition more than others, I think, um, because unlike all the previous editions, stealth suits actually have two wounds. Previously, they always only had the one. So it was exactly. just, you know, I mean, when you're passing something off, it was just like, yeah, bye-bye stealth suit or something. Yeah, exactly. uh, now it's just like, you know, e- even those ones that do get through, it's not necessarily killing off your stealth suits. It's just essentially maybe weakening them. So it's almost like a no-brainer yep. to cherry-pick where you're going to put your ablatives. Um, and that could be just super frustrating for an opponent. Yeah, yeah. And on top of that, stealth suits being toughness four now, too, because they used to be mm. even toughness three. They're, they're just so much more robust now. I think 
stealth suits have such an awesome role in in the the game right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always felt like I was kind of taking them almost out of spite, like they were they felt like a tax unit at times, or I was just doing the optimized stealth cadre, um, mm-hmm. which was just way too good, really. Yeah, um, yeah, that was. I, I mean, as a ta- I mean, don't get me wrong. It's just yeah, no, it was just. There's no way of trying to justify it. It was just OP. <laughs> it was just exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like you could you could melt tanks with your with your burst cannons because you were hitting their rear armor technically always. Yeah, and the high strength of them, it's just like you were chewing up uh, vehicles without even having to use your fusion. It was it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, but that was a formation, and I think on their own, their stat lines didn't really warrant that much fear. But now, stealth suits, I think, not not that they're like horrifying, but they are so difficult to displace if you're using them well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that they're she just makes them that much extra useful. Um, because they're so great to have with her everything has the same range so that's like a really synergistic sort of combination um and the fact that they can pass off wounds for her it's just it's just an amazing combo i think but really just getting down to her i think she is one of the better hq choices like in the game of 40k as far as just overall flexibility um to point costs Mm-hmm. Uh, max of damage output with mobility um, and command benefits. I think she's just she's just so good. Um, I really and and narratively speaking, you know, you were talking about how mm-hmm. cool she is in the in the fluff. I totally agree. I think she's such an awesome addition to the lore of the Tau. Um, I think she wasn't there right at the beginning um, no. when the Tau first came out, but. Uh, you know, she was part of the expanding world building they did for the Tau um, in 6th and 7th edition. And um, there is that amazing sort of cat and mouse with her and the Khan. Yeah. Um, and I just love that. I think it's so cool. These two masters of, of hunt and predation yeah. um, just never being able to outfox each other. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's just so cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, also for law wise, doubly cool because she's pretty much one of the few Xenos characters who can probably take the accolade of um, actually, you know, saying it's just like I destroyed a chapter master. Yeah, I you know it, it, she literally killed a chapter master, and I know a lot of people just you know raged about that, and it's just like so right, it's it can like, happen. But as a chapter master, that would be impossible. It's just like diffusion cares not, you know. <laughs> it's just like, you know, look at any chapter master and you're talking about toughness four, toughness five. I'm sorry, if you're taking two of those to the face, I don't think it really matters. <laughs> yeah. And and why wouldn't she be good enough to do that? I mean, she's clearly an incredibly talented individual hmm. um, in, in all martial matters. So it's like I don't know why you why you'd be upset about it. There's no, I mean, chapter masters have died in the lore. It's not like every current chapter master is the first one from ten thousand years ago. Yeah, um, they've died for various reasons, and there's no reason that she can't be one of the ones to have brought one down. 
Yeah. Oh, this is true. And it's, uh, but yeah, no, I, I find it, I find it brilliant that she has, uh, you know, um, I remember reading about it and, you know, I remember the rage and I remember chuckling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, uh, the Raven guard, right? Yeah. 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 Cave and Shrike. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I love that. And I love the Raven guard. I'm not talking as a hater of Raven guard. I think they're an awesome chapter. Mm. Um, I just think that, that is also awesome that she did that. I can, I feel so impartially in love with so many different factions mm. um, in this game that I feel like I can't get upset because I'm just like, oh, one of my favorite characters died, but it was they died facing another favorite character of mine. So <laughs> how can I be upset? This <laughs> is great storytelling. Mm, yeah. Um, and think and you know I think things should move. I think that characters shouldn't just stay alive. They shouldn't. I, I think that, you know, that there's weight and there's benefit, I think, to storytelling that has real loss in it. I think mm -hmm. that's when things start to, to matter and to mean something. Yeah. And to lose a character that you love about, I think, is a profound moment in literature. The fact that it can make you feel something, I think that's really, that's yeah. beautiful and powerful. And it's sort of the point, I think, of storytelling. So um let your characters die uh, yeah. is what i mean to say yes let your characters die but don't let them go out like a chump <laughs> yeah always have it be the best ending possible yeah um and, and, you know I, I think maybe some people felt that but um i know a lot of people um that kind of hate on the tower just going oh you know they, they, even now they're going oh they're new there's nothing written about them. there's tons they just haven't bothered to read yeah like, that's uh, ridiculous yeah it's like pick up a book it's just like there's 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 an absolute ton of uh background and fluff and everything yeah uh, um and you know given how how masterful she is with regards to uh you know actually you know doing that cat and mouse style of warfare like you know that trap within trap that's kind of you know almost you know spider-like kind of inability just to weave um you know discord and and kind of mayhem around her kind of you know just to kind of like draw the enemy away and then you know a, a surgical strike elsewhere it's yep. kind of you know um or you know it's uh to, to be able to take someone out like a you know a chats master raven guard that you know obviously deals in subterfuge and stealth themselves yep. uh, um you know i think it's uh, i think it speaks to her prowess and um you know it, it does it, it it lends her weight and it yeah. should be it should never be just about one race kind of like suit you know just steamrolling over everyone else right um so yeah yeah i think it's a great thing yeah it's great it's a great moment and she's a great character i think we both agree she's pretty much a no-brainer if you're going to play tau sept she just makes sense to take oh yeah um, for tau sept she's an also include uh, yeah. yeah so that's her and then i think next we move on to someone that's a bit more relevant to your gaming style oh, um <laughs> uh, commander farsight who has actually been there since the sort of formation of the tau mm. um so yeah. Uh, no, no, I'm sure you have a lot of love for this character and I want to let you sort of wax nah, romantic yeah. about him if you <laughs> want to. <laughs> um, oh, where do I start? Yeah, no, it's, um, well, for me, um, 
I do have a very big soft spot. Um, and not just because obviously I'm a fast art on clothes player, but when, I mean, I've always followed the fluff and the law, but I was into fancy battle when I started the hobby as a kid and, um, you know, did the usual, you know, discovered ladies and, you know, and, and, and pleasurable things that kind of, you know, aren't really good for you and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, uh, coming back to it, it was, you know, it was, I, I spent a lot of time reading, picking up the law, seeing what happened, you know, in the time I was away from it. Um, and, you know, try and decide on that first army. And I, and I picked, you know, quite a wide range of different armies. And Tau was one of them, but it was kind of, I was never really, hmm, I, I wasn't sold. Um, right. Um, you know, myself, I, I mean, there was some good backstory there and everything, but you know, with this new upstart race in this corner in the corner of the Eastern Fringe, but um, it was actually reading the Farsight Enclave supplement. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's this, uh, yeah, no, I just fell in love with it, I was just like sold that. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, um, it was so, yeah, so I had to collect out and I had to make them Farsight Enclaves just based on his story. Um, it's it's kind of in a in a very grim, dark universe where there are no good guys. Um, I suppose he's almost as close as it gets. Yeah. Um, in in as much as we kind of talked about the Tau Empire, kind of you know everyone thinks they're squeaky and light, but there's kind of you know this is very Orwellian kind of you know uh, dystopian vibe to them. Yeah. Um, which kind of if you scratch the surface on, it's kind of you know yeah they're not the they're they're not, they're not the shiny squeaky light thing that you know that they seem with their you know gleaming you know battle suits etc. Right. Um, there's a real there's a real kind of almost a uh, mind control um, element uh, via propaganda and everything that's happening across the entire species just to keep them in line um, yeah. and kind of, you know, just stop any doubt and that they're, you know, their fervent belief that they are the saviors for the, for the galaxy really. Yeah. Um, and the fact that the backstory of Farsight, he gets the inkling that he's not being told everything. And despite the fact that, you know, he's been left to command kind of, you know, things throughout his history, but, you know, the ethereals have pulled him away for whatever reason. And there's just no sense of honor or just like what to it. It's, uh, it's, it, you know, that he, he's been at odds a few times and, um, he knows that there's more to it. Um, in, and, you know, and that's basically led obviously to the, you know, him breaking away and, you know, being the renegade. Um, but not the renegade in that kind of fall to grace. Um, however, kind of, you know, the Tau might like to, um, Tau Empire at large might to kind of, you know, um, kind of paint it. Um, you know, technically he is, he is actually kind of, you know, standing up for the true greater good. It's not, um, it's not, well, there's still an element of first among equals. Um, it, you know, all the different um, castes, um, mm -hmm. that constitute their race. Um, they have equal, um, there, there, there is an equality there. Um, they've broken away. There is that enclave that, you know, with, you know, four major home worlds, a load of burgeoning other worlds kind of around, and they do live in harmony. They do get that, you know, they do follow the greater good in their own right, but without the super control that's coming from the ethereal cast. Um, right. so if anything, they're almost the, 
they're almost the true greater good as it were mm-hmm. that's the way i kind of you know i read it i know that you know there's that kind of disparity between the two kind of you know sub factions as it were um but you know i think he's just um yeah he's just a true hero for it and it's kind of um he's taken some shakes and he's taken some knocks and he's still trying to find his way in the in, in the greater imperium and you know the galaxy mm-hmm. uh but he's, you know, there's this, there's this kind of stalwart honor uh, code that has never left him, and he always runs by. Um, um, and even within, you know, not just the other races, but within the Tau race, um, he doesn't bear that grudge. Um, where it's just like, uh, you know, I won't fight, um, you know, with you. It's just like, if he sees the empire at large and help, he'll still go and help them out. Uh, right. you know, um, and it's all, it is, you know, there's, it's, there's this true leadership quality to him, which is just, um, brilliant. Um, and oh, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to talk about, li- I spend the next two hours literally talking about his entire <laughs> Genesis, to, you know, read the book. Um, <laughs> uh, because you know, it's, it, it's, it's a worthy read. Um, yeah. And, you know, I mean, even within there, there's a cast of characters in there in the eight, um, which, you know, again, that's a kind of a segue, but, you know, I mean, the eight were, I still think they had its best in that codex supplement I picked up when I just started those many mm-hmm. years ago, um, when you can almost cherry pick them <laughs> and you didn't right. them on, you know, as one, uh, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, they're perfectly viable to you in this edition. Uh, yeah, it's a point chunk, but you know, I mean, a thousand points for technically eight commanders. It's never a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. Even if they're not suboptimal, well, they're all kitted out suboptimally, but, yeah. um, but yeah, so his, his fluff is just, you know, I mean, if you're ever unsure or not really sure what it's about, um, I, anything that involves commander fast sight in the law, I highly recommend you read. Um, if you can pick up the seventh edition codex supplement, that gives you yeah. a great backstory. Um, but there's a few, there's a few other stories, uh, expound on that. So, I mean, the Damocles crusade that, you know, there was two books that came out the yeah, end the seventh, yeah. um, that tells the, it shines a little light in between kind of, you know, the history and, um, how Farsight and Shadow Sun act with each other. Um, yep. there's this, there is a hatred there, but there's kind of, there, there is a big mutual respect all, and from Shadowson's point of view, it's almost bordering on insubordination. Yeah. Um, um, but you know, she, she plays fair and honorably as well. Um, at a point to a point. Um, but yeah, um, there's other things like, uh, Farsight Crisis of Faith, um, Chasso. There's, there's a few other books out there. I just highly recommend anyone to read, even if you're not technically into the town they're just good books um and you know it, it it does it gives you a lot more of a, an insight into how the town behave and are um with a big cast of players that are there yeah um so that's that's the fluff side i mean the i mean actual in game um i've got him um i always f- try and find an excuse not to bring him mm-hmm. and only because it's just like it's, it's, you never want your your big name characters constantly be there. I mean, don't get me wrong, at their place, but you know, it, when you're playing games of forty k, it kind of doesn't make sense that kind of you know this bi- the, these big powerhouse names would always be on the battlefield in every one of your games. 
Right. Um, and that's that's the thing I try to keep in my head because otherwise I would probably take him every single time because he's an absolute boss. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would argue while he doesn't have the um, synergy for rules that, you know, I mean, he doesn't rely so much on people around him. Yeah. But he's, um, but it works just as well, just because of the synergy that happens with battle suits and XV8 specifically and with a commander. Um, but it's almost, um, it's, it's, it's twofold um, in the, because you've got the Moncar that you can play twice. Yep. Um, or like you said, the technically flexible, you know, carry on and Moncar. But yep. having him there kind of, you know, and with how he's kitted out, you kind of want to be able to use that Moncar at least once. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, the fact he's got that is amazing. Um, the rules in 8th edition, that way of the short blade, yeah. uh, um, which was different in previous editions, but in this one, you can re-roll to hit rolls of one uh, for friendly fast sight enclosed units in the fight phase. Now, obviously, Tau, you don't usually typically want to get in the fight phase, but it means that he's slapping with his Dawn Blade on a two, re-rolling the ones. So yeah. you're guaranteeing those hits. And at four attacks, there's quite a chunk of hits and damage you can dish out. Because um, technically now, his Dawn Blade, it's in the best profile it's ever been and it actually truly reflects um, what it should be. Because technically, it's a strength eight, AP minus four, D3 damage, vampiric Blade of Doom. Um, and for any that might be unsure, um, I mean, Tau aren't the most long-lived of races. So um, while Shadow Sun and, you know, in the early days, Farsight used to be in, in cryogenic sleep, essentially, and only brought yeah. out in times of great need or for, to be the champion of an expansion, um, they, they technically always, you know, you know, when they're not in active service, go back yeah. into cryo. Um, Farsight's never had to, and he's hundreds and hundreds of years old now. Yeah. And he's literally, while, he's, while he has an inkling, you know, he doesn't 100% know, or, you know, it's not, you know, there's no way of him actually saying for definite. There's no technology there that kind of allows it to kind of, you know, just be, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, is this blade keeping me alive? But um, basically, the... the the, the Dawnblade is this um, Xenos blade from an unknown origin. No one knows where it comes from, except, you know, the planet of Arthur Smollett where he picked it up. Right. Um, and um, for every soul he kills, basically, um, the life that was left in that soul passes to him. So it, it can kind of makes him this soul vampire. <laughs> That's the one dark bit about him. Um, but so, I mean, you know, you, you, I do sometimes wonder if they plan on maybe trying to make him this corrupted, darker character. Um, mm -hmm. I think anyone who's a true fan of Farsight sees him definitely more as a hero character than anything else. Um, I think to try and make him this, he's already an anti-hero to a degree. I think to try and make him this kind of, you know, bad guy, I, I don't think it would work. Um, um, at least for the fluff standpoint. Um, you know, I think kind of, you know, keep him as the good. But um, yeah, that Dawnblade anyway. So four attacks, absolutely, yep. you know, smacking stuff. And um, he can take out so much. Um, his plasma rifle is obviously, you know, a, a lot more um, powerful than it ever was. Yep. Uh, 
it was still rapid fire one is now at 38 30 inch range and while it's normal tower strength six plasma it is ap minus four and two damage yeah so i mean again reliably um with a blister skill of two um you know you you, you know you're, you're dealing a chunk of hits quite oh, yeah. to soften up uh, your target and where they again where it comes into its own quite well is if you have farsight along with another commander um and using the farsight specific relic um so obviously with the um signature systems within the tower one of them which is available for farsight on close only is the um is the fusion blades yeah um which is exactly what it says on the tin so you're taking <laughs> shadow sun's two fusions and you're also being able to use them in close combat. It's so awesome. And so awesome. yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, uh, I, I I love. I, I mean, why would you never take? I, I mean, I always take it anyway because it's yeah. you know. But I mean, yeah. There's just no reason not to. Right. Um, and being able to have that kind of commander, you know, as this unknown. Well, not an unknown, but if you get to use them cannily enough to have um, that commander and farsight working in tandem with um, a bodyguard and subsequent drones around to basically actually attack someone in close combat. And while, you know, with any proper melee heavy army, you're going to struggle regardless because it's still only two, two commanders. Um, you can put a surprising dent and extra punch into your army that, you know, you wouldn't normally think of from a town, town force. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, the amount of times where I've dropped Commander Farsight and bombed him in with a few XV-8s, um, they've, you know, generally softened some stuff up. And then, you know, I mean, with tank squadrons um, in 7th and in 8th, I've basically, you know, bought and charged, charged Farsight up. And he's just gone from tank to tank to tank, basically just smacking them to pieces. Um, <laughs> it's funny as hell, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, and and arguably he's slightly—I'd say—he's more survivable. He's got the three-up save. He's got the four-up invul. Um, mm-hmm. and obviously, he's still applicable for the the, um, the daisy chaining of the blatives. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think it's great. And while there's a situational thing um, with um, towering combat, um, again, it's very fluffy. And again, I I, I highly recommend you read like um, the background story because there's the Arkanasha war and many other occasions where he's had to fight the orcs uh, right. and that kind of is how he got his name and you know really kind of became uh, known uh, within the actual empire um, and as such because he's had to face orcs so many times um, it's not just um, in the fight phase um, for the re-rolled ones to hit um, if you're playing against orcs, if you're playing Farsight against orcs, then basically anything within six inches of Commander Farsight himself, you can reroll those ones in the fight phase and the shooting phase to hit. So again, yeah. it's, it's, it, it, while you can always get that reroll of ones with Markalites, in a situational thing against orcs, it's kind of that extra thing you just don't need to worry about because obviously, and it, it makes it even more useful against orcs because um, obviously orcs being such a horde army anyway, you get run out of targets. To, I mean, you got you got a target-rich environment to basically, uh, you know, try and deal with. So um, having that reroll to ones is, um, I'd say, arguably more effective. Yeah. Um, you know, um, than you know maybe shadow suns 
uh, re-roll to ones um, because it's not just the re-rolls to one in the shooting phase. Right. But yeah. And w when you combine that too with the super short range um, re-rolling ones to wound that all Farsight Enclaves get, I mean, that's such a great combo too. It's like it really makes you want to make your, your Tau army be very close ranged, if not a combat army than one that's at least comfortable getting into like comfortable charge range yeah um, I mean, it, you have to be i mean playing farsight isn't a light choice um because it, you you can argue that it's not the best set tenant um sure really um i mean because you have got to be so close um but when you play to that strength um yeah, yeah it's truly devastating because i mean you know you you want your fusions up close you want everything up close because that gives you the higher amounts of shots and then being able to have you know with the marker lights all those nice little perks you get yep, and then yep. the re-rolls to wound um you know just yeah it, it, it makes your dake even more devastating um yeah. which is never a bad thing because that's what they're all about really when you come down to it yeah. All about the DACA. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it really, I think it begs sort of the, the image that the famous iconic image of Farsight Enclaves just dropping down right in the enemy face with so many just crisis battle suits, you know, loaded to the teeth with short range fusion and stuff, just completely breaking the nose of the enemy force. Mm. Um, I feel like Farsight has a sort of similar, like, operational strategy to the way Space Marines work, actually, to bring them up again for a moment. Yeah. Um, the way they just land in the steel rain, they come down right on the enemy in the drop pods, and then they just bust out and break the enemy nose, you know, in an instant, basically, they're supposed to turn the tide. I feel like Farsight's whole thing is that same thing. He just does it with battle suits instead of Space mm. Marines. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I mean, kind of, it's uh, on the wish list. Yeah, I do, and again, it, it goes back to the kind of, you know, I mean, now we've seen it with the new Space Marines decks. Yeah, uh, um, I mean, I would love to see a Farsight supplement come back. Uh, oh yeah, only because there's a few things that I kind of miss. I mean, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. I mean, the, the, we still have the eight um, that you can take. I mean, obviously, all they all have to be fielded as, you know, you have to take all eight. Right. Uh, but there are a few things in there that are just missing. Um, and, you know, they formed a big part of the law and they, and they were in game, um, yep. things that you could use. So uh, one of the things, and again, it harkens back to the backstory, when you picked up the Dawnblade, um, with the battle that ensued there, there were these talismans, because basically a warp gate spilled open. Mm -hmm. um, and um, there were these talismans, which they ended up collecting, which called the Talismans of Arthas Moloch. And in Game and Seventh, it actually gave um, Farsight Enclaves um, not a brilliant anti-psyker um, element, but an ability to actually deny the witch. Um, mm -hmm. And that was actually really, really good. Um, it never worked for defensive spells when you're you know, your enemy was buffing their own units, but for any offensive spells, yeah. you had the ability to actually deny. Um, so, um, which was, which is 
still now kind of you know the, one of the biggest weaknesses um you know they have as a have, have as a race in the game oh yeah uh, definitely. so i mean having that kind of ability to be able to kind of you know stop stop those smites maybe from happening and you know um another kind of you know nasty kind of psychic powers happening i think would be a great thing to bring back in yeah, uh, yeah. um and the other thing as well, which um, was a great thing um, in the Farsight um, Enclave's uh, Codex supplement uh, that they used to have, which was the Mirror Codex. Mm -hmm. So um, in the first battle for kind of, you know, the Damocles uh, Crusade, um, that, you know, he, in the whole time that they were doing the jump to get into that war zone the first time round, um, which yeah. led to obviously the space marines kind of getting into Tau space and the culmination of it. Um, Farsight didn't go into cryo like the rest of them. He actually stayed awake for the entire length of the journey. So obviously, because they don't have war drive, that was quite a while. Right. Um, so and he basically poured over all the data captures and footage and reports and everything. And during the entire time, they were all in, you know the entire um, crusade force was essentially in stasis to try and um, you know bring bring it back into the Tau Empire's fold. Um, yeah. he ended up creating what's called the mirror codex, mm. which was a, a way of war. Um, very, it's, you know, very much, very much, very much in the line of Gulliman's, uh, codex society. Uh, yeah. you know, um, he created this codex of how to deal and face with, uh, space Marines, um, yeah. which in game gave them a great, um, benefit, um, against Imperial troops. Um, and I'd love to see something like that back in the game. Um, yeah. Because, um, yeah, it was just this extra level of depth. And it wasn't a super powerful rule. Um, because what would happen is you'd roll a d6 at the beginning of every one of your turns. And on a four, five, or six, it would basically come into effect. I think <laughs> for four, it was... Uh, it was kind of, you know, preferred enemy or re-roll uh, against, you know, space marines. Um, I think five was um, it's something else. And then, like, if you got if you rolled a six, or maybe it was just a five or six, um, it was basically preferred enemy or re-rolls um, against um, space marines and imperial guard. Oh wow! So kind of, you know, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you had this extra level of depth and it, again, it was just, it was only situational against those armies. Right. But, um, you know, I just, I, I just found it more often than not in my games, it just found it super useful. And, um, I kind of miss that element and flavor that, you know, gave them the edge over some of the other steps. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. And I think, it sort of compensates for what might be considered a natural weakness of the far side enclaves, which is how close they generally have to get to really be popping off. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's a huge weakness for an army that absolutely falls apart in combat. Yeah. Um, I think back when he first came out, I know Farsight gave some sort of global benefit to your fire warriors or something i think he made their weapon skill better or something mm -hmm. um and you know that's definitely i think a fluffy rules choice but i think in general it makes so little difference um if your fire warriors are being charged by orcs it, it doesn't matter if they're hitting on fours instead of fives they're yeah 
they're just not going to do the work. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's just a sad truth. I think of, of what happens when Tao fall into, and it's not unrealistic either. I mean, as no. highly trained as a Tao would be, how is he supposed to beat like a seven foot tall green muscle monster with, you know, axes for hands and, and swords <laughs> for teeth and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I do like the idea that maybe against like Imperial Guard or something, um, soldiers that have a bit more combat experience or just maybe more have an aptitude for melee fighting, um, that Tau could maybe be trained to hold their own against other similarly sort of weighted humanoid enemies. Yeah. Um, It'd be nice to see them be able to go at least sliding toe-to-toe. But I mean... On, on saying that, I mean, I'm quite happy that necessarily they don't in close combat because I, I do actually kind of like the law that they find combat just abhorrent. In general. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, yeah, I like that a lot. Um, so kind of, you know, it's also kind of the fact that the, and it does play to their style, which is they don't, um, unlike the Imperium, they, they, they don't care anything for, you know, holding ground. Right. Um, you know, they'll happily fall back if it's not going their way to then, you know, bring up those fire lines and kind of, you know, you know, make a new front and you know, bring their firepower to bear in yeah. the right situation. And it's playing to that kind of rule um, in the game that I think kind of, you know, makes them sing anyway. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it is one of those things. I think kind of um, it would be nice to see some of the old flavor come back a little bit, but yeah. it, is, it is kind of being a bit, you know, it would be nice, but, you know, we still have a, we, we still have a strong codex. It's just that extra granularity that, especially now we've seen it in the Space Marines codex, would be nice if it went to else. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, in, a, in regards to that, I feel like I don't really have anything to add to what you said about Farset, I feel like you you covered it. He he's, you know, he really does just do what he says. I think he's an amazing choice. Uh, if you're taking Farset enclaves, enclaves definitely he's an auto include. Mm-hmm. Um, he provides uh, a combat sort of survivability that definitely no other Tau has, other than the commander with the fusion uh, blades. And, you know, you can use them in tandem and it's, it's if you basically is the only way to have like a Tau fighting force that has some combat capability. Yeah, um, it's, it's the most aggressive way to play them. Uh, yeah. And it does. And it doesn't come without its uh, its uh, kind of bugbears and, um, you know, losses in game. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's fine. I mean. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's high risk, high risk, high reward. But um, yeah. you know, when it pays off, it's it's such a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm I'm happily going to stay a far side on close bunny and not really look at any other steps. Yeah, uh, no, I that's I think that's totally cool. The loyalty that you maintain to one group, you know, regardless of the edition that you're in, the fact that you like those those guys you like that army yeah Um, i really like that and i've i've always tried to have that too um you know as hard as i've gone on um down this uh spiral of death watch captains um i only just started playing death watch because they didn't have an army before seventh edition Mm. um 
if if they'd had a codex before then I, they would have been my space rain army but i only started playing them in seventh edition because they that's when they became playable um i haven't done any meta chasing with them um you know, for a while I felt like they were kind of useless, and then when their codex came out, suddenly they were sort of the only competitive Space Marine option. Mm -hmm. uh, and regardless of that, I've just never changed the way that I've built my Death Watch because I just like the Death Watch. I'm not trying to like win games necessarily. Yeah, um, the Death Watch are they got so much character and flavor. Yeah, um, you know, I. Yeah. Any, any book that contains them is is, is a is a worthy read. I don't, yeah. think, I, I don't think I've read a bad one yet. Um, there are kind of some better than others, definitely. But um, you know, I mean, they're just incredible. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, I'm in, in law. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I always love reading stuff to do with them. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no, it is. It's um, it, it is one of those things. Um, <laughs> It's just one of those armies where, you know, when you play Farsight Enclaves or just any sort of sub-faction within an existing faction, it's like you probably are playing those through the additions because you love that army. Right. And regardless of what happens to their rules, you know, your, your ability to win will go up and down. But if you love that army, you'll just keep playing them. And I have no doubt that you'll be a Farsight player forever, no matter what the rules are. Oh, for life, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, good or bad. I mean, I, I picked them up when they were a little-known codex supplement, and before Tau became really a big, a big thing at the end of seven. So when I really started, I mean, Tau weren't in the best place, right. uh, but they were always super fun to play, yeah. uh, and that's never changed. <laughs> so they're yeah, totally agree. Forty k army, and probably, arguably, the one I love the most still. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's that first love, isn't it? You never forget it. <laughs> oh yeah, I totally, I, I totally, I totally feel, feel the same. same. When the Tau came out, that really was my first. Like, I'm buying an entire army, not just like a handful of models. And I still have that sort of core love of like, they're the first time I got serious about like making a list in 40k. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll always have that. Well, well, I'll always have Tau. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's Farsight basically. I think he obviously he's he's sort of an auto include feature if you're going to use Farsight Enclave. So much character, mm. so much awesome sort of anti hero badassery there. And his rules, I think, actually are ferocious. He's a great, great thing to have in a Farsight Enclave's army. Yeah. Um, Provides much needed punch. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So the next two options, I feel like we can kind of talk about together because they're almost the same thing. Yeah. Um, it's the commander in XV-8 Crisis Battlesuit and the commander in XV-85 Enforcer Battlesuit. Yeah. Um, as far as I know, there's uh, only one difference between these two, and the, or I guess two differences. One is that the Enforcer mm -hmm. Battlesuit has one extra wound, and yeah. the other is that the Crisis Battlesuit has access to the uh, Iridium armor. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, that's uh, that, that is literally it. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of a weird choice. I mean, I think because iridium armor probably looks a bit different from regular crisis suit armor you really could make these interchangeable models and they could function as the same thing mm -hmm. um yeah which is cool i mean you can you know you imagine maybe your commander of your sept might have 
access to multiple battle suits that they sort of switch in and out from game to game or from uh, mission to mission. Um, so it's not, you know, it's sort of like the Iron Man thing. He just yeah. has like a bunch of suits that he keeps upgrading or whatever. So um, <laughs> you could arguably just say like, oh, it's the same commander. He's just in one of his two suits yeah. um, or three, really, given the Cold Star. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, even um, Farsight himself, I think he was the first guy to actually pilot uh, Cold Star. Oh, yeah, okay. Anymore. I didn't even realize that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it was, um, there's a little known book called, if memory serves right, it's The Greater Evil. Oh, um, right. And it tells of uh, another story. Um, I'm not going to go into spoilers, basically, um, but yeah, um, there's an element in it where, um, yeah, um, he shit goes down. And um, yeah, basically, um, he ends up piloting a cold star for the first time. And you're just like, <gasps> oh, that's the thing. That's um, awesome. Yeah, so it was, it was cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, which would you say that you would feel more out of it, out of it, between the, between the actual just the standard or the enforcer? Yeah. So basically, I always do the enforcer. Um, it's more maybe of just a sense of guilt of like my commander is in the enforcer battlesuit model, and I'm just like, oh well, I don't. I want it to be as WYSIWYG as possible, even though I think it's perfectly justifiable to say that that would be a crisis suit with iridium armor and that they would look different. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, literally that is my only reason for taking one over the other. Um, I feel like the extra wound versus a two up armor save. I kind of feel like the two up armor save is like generally better. Uh -huh. Um, but it, like I said, it's literally just, sort of it is an enforcer model so i take it as an enforcer battlesuit um i don't feel particularly like one is better than the other really i feel like um i mean i guess i guess i would lean towards the two up save being better mm. um but i think that that's still situational there's a lot of ap in the game yeah um and the extra wound is better against you know things that have really high ap anyway especially if you're taking a shield generator or something yeah i mean i i'd agree with that i mean um um i i, I do tend to have um an iridium suit um that i always take as a commander and tech you know i tank him up uh she'll she'll generate the rest of it and i find that just seems to be the better option i mm -hmm. cannot I, I can see the other side and arguing for the extra wound sure uh, but it's the extra wound and yeah i don't know while it's while it technically works out slightly cheaper because the iridium's 10 points right you're kind of paying slightly less for the extra wound but that being said yeah i don't know there's there's not a great deal in it yeah uh, i just argue that kind of you know the enforcer suit looks slightly cooler <laughs> Yeah, so, I would too. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 just it's just ruler cool. But I mean, now that the iridium suit has its own thing as well in the new <laughs> um, XV8 kits, it's um, you know, that's a moot point because the iridium armor looks badass too. So, oh yeah, so cool. Yeah. And I like the fact that it harkens to the way the broad, new broadside looks as well, with the kind of you know, yeah. higher color, slightly tankier kind of you know body. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is kind of splitting hairs. But I mean, um, how how would you, how do you usually field your commanders? I suppose which is a good thing. I mean, how how do you play them in game? Yeah. So one thing I'll say, it just sort of as a preface to me explaining how this goes, is that. I think by far the best attribute of the commander is that this is such an incredibly flexible HQ choice mm. um, as far as the way that you can use it. Similar to the way that Crisis Battlesuits, I think, are such an amazing sort of general utility purpose unit that can do kind of anything that you want them to. I think the commander is just sort of the HQ version of that. Mm. And uh, it's really awesome how much you can do because I'm sure that you and I probably play a little differently with our with our HQ choices, and um, the commander I think is perfectly suited to play multiple playstyles. Mm-hmm. Um, so many weapon options, so many signature. Uh, I mean, um, you know, upgrade system options. Um, it j- like it's just got so much stuff that you can put on those four hard points. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I use my commander. Generally, it's an enforcer commander. Generally, I give him three fusion blasters and a drone controller. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just sort of keep him in and around my entire enemy line, or um, my entire gun line. He just sort of floats around mm-hmm. in the middle of all that, and I move him as I need to. And he's he's more of like a counter charging unit than an offensive unit Mm -hmm. so um i think i've mentioned several times now that i use my tau to sort of be this like prickly porcupine thing and the closer you get the the more prickly it gets the more dangerous it gets um that's why i put like uh, plasma rifles on my broadsides because like the closer you get the more broadside fire you'll receive um i use breachers as sort of like a backup close range unit for when my fire warriors are getting into the position where they might be charged or something. The breachers will sort of run out from cover and line of sight blocking terrain and sort of shotgun in the face, anything that's running up. Um, And I use my commander basically in that regard. So until that time, he's generally, you know, providing fire support. There are amazing stratagems you can use like with your commander. Mm -hmm. Um, that can augment the shooting of the rest of your army and a lot of times it's like if he doesn't fire he can provide benefits to them um so i just oftentimes i just keep him back until the enemy's right in my face and i just use those kinds of stratagems combined with kion um and i just get this he adds this great fire support mechanic um, and then when the enemy does get that close, he's got three fusion blasters hitting on twos. Mm. Um, and typically I use, um, the, um, what is that? The warlord trait that you get to reroll wound rolls against monsters and vehicles. Okay. The, um, um yeah, yeah. Uh, precision of the skilled yeah. hunter or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So that's not like maybe the most viable strategic option i think maybe um through unity victory is stronger or whatever mm-hmm. um and i do use that one sometimes but i think in general i really like to give him that that uh, precision of the hunter or whatever it's called stratagem i really like the idea that he's 
super trained to like hyper focus on the most important strategic assets the enemy has and just sort of deletes them. Yeah. Um, so the rest of the army can keep moving like a well-oiled machine without having to divert all their attention to these new threats. And you can argue um, quite easily with three fusion fusion blasters that uh, it's more than well equipped enough to uh, deal with a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like he can single handedly, you know, pop open an imperial transport, um, like a Rhino or a Chimera or anything like that, and that's not far fetched for him to be able to do pretty much on his own. Mm. And you can imagine him just being like, oh, he's pre he's run this drill so many times with his men of like, I blow up the tank, the troops open fire on what comes out. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I love the idea of Tao having this super well-practiced drills that they just go over and over and over again. And I, to me, that's why they have all these rules of their synergy and stuff is mm -hmm. because like more than training to become like more accurate with a, with a rifle, they're training to work together really well. Yeah, um, and that and so again reflected in the law because they do they um they they relentlessly uh you know um even when they're kind of doing their cow yarn or you know I mean they're actually you know um while they're kind of in field they're kind of they're running drills they're doing tests they're tweaking their uh their traps uh, um you know just to make sure that kind of you know because they they're all very much about know your enemy. Uh, yeah. so can deal with it the best way possible when you're actually facing them in the flesh. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's so well reflects in the rules. Um, and uh, it, it does, it makes sense of what you say, kind of, you know, that there's just this, uh, kind of powerhouse and, um, you know, uh, strategic genius kind of, you know, that's just, uh, guiding the rest of your cadre, um, into being able to perform, um, yeah. to its peak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of how I use my commander. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's Commander Ashwalker um, or Ophangin. He was in the most recent bat rep uh, that we did. He was sort of the hero of the defense there. Yeah, um, I love Yeah, yeah. Super, super. I, I love that character that I've created. Um, not to be too vain. I sort of think of him as not mine. He's just this character that I love. That's good because um, you don't mind when he dies. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Goes back um, to it. Kill your characters. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he's not, he is not immortal and he's not immune to death. And speaking of your, um, you're talking about the cryo stuff. He actually had been in cryo since uh, previous sphere expansion too. So uh, he plays into that lore as well of he's just a regular old Tau. He ages normally and he's actually pretty up there in years at this point, even with the cryo. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think that's a really cool aspect of the Tau It's just sort of how finite their commanders really are mm -hmm. and their characters. And unless there's some extenuating circumstance, you know, they, there are very limited ways for them to just sort of be perpetuated throughout the story over time. Yeah. Um, so eventually his time will come, whether it's by the bullet or, you know, in his bed surrounded by family or loved ones or whatever. But uh, I, I do like the, the character a lot that I've that I've developed there. And yeah, um, yeah so so how do you how do you run your commanders? Noel? 
Okay, so similar to you, actually, in a way. I mean, like you said, that you have a commander that you run um, with three fusion. So I'm very similar in that. I generally run one with three fusion. Mm -hmm. The difference being is obviously two of those fusions are the fusion blades. Right. Um, so, um, and I, instead of putting with a drone controller, I will always kit him out with a radium and I will always put a shield generate on him. Nice. Um, so in that role, um, obviously when he drops in, whether I'm taking fast sight or not with him, um, with a bodyguard, he's there to basically after the initial drop and the softening blows have come through and a lot of uh, wreckage has been caused. Yeah. Uh, um, he will charge in and then just basically mess stuff up in a big way. Um, you know, um, while he can basically, um, um, he's hitting on a threes, uh, which, you know, maybe isn't the best. The fact that he can chuck out four hits and those, um, for two, two of those hits are going to be strength, a AP minus four D six damage. Um, and that's before he's unloaded a couple of shots himself, which is obviously yep. PS2. It's, um, you know, those extra fusion strength shots mm -hmm. um, can really turn the tide in taking out something big um, or, 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 you know, popping a few things open to let the lesser firepower um, that's in the army just to kind of, you know, tear it a new one. Yep. Um, and that tends to be how I field one of my commanders. Um, mm -hmm. I would generally always, genuinely always take two uh, um, in any list I have. But there again, being fast, I, I, I always lean more towards battle suits anyway. Right. And I take a higher proportion as opposed to other other unit types. Um, just because I like to play to the fluff. Right. Um, so while I don't command a spam, I'll tend to always just take two. Um, occasionally the three, but that's when it's fast sight. Um, and the second one I always take, it plays the backfield role. Mm -hmm. So my, my fusion suit is kind of, you know, the, the one that charges up and goes, Rah! and you know, <laughs> um, the other one I feel is usually taking the place of something similar to you, um, uh, in that he'll have the drone controller. He'll always be equipped. So, you know, with a, with, with a retinue of, um, as many, uh, marker drones as I can get. And your mobile platforms to provide that fire support. Yeah. Um, and then um, I will equip them with a longer range firepower to provide that support while I've got those forward elements because I'm more aggressive. So I will, instead of three fusion, I will kit that drone controller, that commander out with three missile pods. Yeah. That's, that's uh, a great loadout on a commander. Yeah. Um, you know, again, just reliably hitting out on twos, re-rolling ones with ease, um, you know, strength, you know, strength seven, AP minus one. If you're doing it, obviously, with, um, you mentioned about the Warlord traits, I usually put through Unity Devastation. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, any sixes, it's AP minus two, uh, D3 damage. And, yeah, I find that he provides much needed fire support. Um, and missiles are never a bad thing just to be able to just kind of unleash, um, on mass. So, yeah. and, and for, for, for me, I've got a very big soft spot for the missile pods and I will generally have, uh, quite a, a fair chunk, 
to be able to just unload from afar, uh, soften those blows up. So that way my assaulty units can really perform their best and start deleting stuff um, and provide a real um, hammer blow. Um, which I think kind of, you know, tell for me and how I play that it, it's a kind of look at that one hand and then yeah, while you're yeah. going with the right hook with the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I find for me that works as the best combo, uh, just yeah. to have those commanders working side by side, you know, not, you know, literally side by side. So the other end of the battlefield usually, but, uh, yeah. I, that combo works for me really well. Um, and that's the way I tend to like to feel them really. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, whether it'll be an enforcer suit or a crisis suit, uh, that enforcer suit is always the one that's sitting out back because I can't iridium him up and really make him as tanky as possible. Right. Mm. Yeah, no, I think that's that's super valid. I love that you sort of... It's almost like each your two commanders are demonstrating both sides of the, uh, you know, the double-pronged Tau strategy of Kion and Mon Ka. You have mm. the one sitting back and being the patient hunter, and then you have the one who is performing the killing blow himself. Mm. And you can imagine both commanders are sort of the yin and yang of each other's tactical prowess. And, mm. and you know, they, they, it, it, it could so easily be that they butt heads and maybe sometimes they do, but you would imagine also that they're heavily augmenting one another's flaws mm. and sort of like filling in the gaps of each other's plans and making sure that they, they sort of have these, you know, overlapping um, contingencies for one another's tactics. Mm. Um, I mean, that, that really works well as a good storyline. For technically, for me, I almost play it the other way around. They're um, those two commanders in my flop. They're actually more brothers. Mm -hmm. Technically, I think they were actually part. I mean, I know that kind of you know they're not given names, but they actually came from the same home worlds. They're they're they're, they're pretty much brothers, um, even before the Talisera bond. Okay. Uh, and for them they are so identical almost um that they read each other um you know perfectly so yeah while traditionally you think the one at the back um would be the patient hunter to the monk car you know fusion blade wielding uh, commander up front yeah i yeah. find that depending on how the derman strang of battle goes it could actually end up turning out that it's just basically they're both playing the patient hunter mm. But with hit a bit with the guy up front just almost being the law. Being the uh, law, yeah, yeah. Um and you know, him almost playing the role of the patient hunter while the guy at the back is actually the one doing the killing blow. Um yeah. drawing it out and forcing your army to almost deal with those front assault elements. Um you can play it so basically the actual hammer blow comes from the back. Um because you're not basically gunlining it. Um, so it, sometimes it works that way and sometimes it works the other. And I like the fact that they both, they, they play off each other nicely because of that. But that in a sense, um, just, I think reflects just the sheer versatility that X V eights. And like you said, at the beginning commanders in general just have, yeah, uh, I'd say they have the hands down the most versatile HQ choice in any army period. Yeah. I, I, I think I have to agree. I mean, the combination of weapon options, loadouts, the combination of their relative durability, you know, they're definitely tougher than Space Marines. They're tougher than a lot of Orc characters. Um, 
you combine the mobility, their weapon loadout, their durability, their buffing ability combined with stratagems that further augment their ability to buff your army. There's just so much that they can do. They can pretty much deal with anything. Mm. Um, and and they can be a counter in whatever way you want them to be, or they can be their own sort of, you know, they're, they're such a, a perfect example of like, you can make them a hammer or you can make them a scalpel. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it's really, or anything in between. Uh, there's such an amazing ability to compromise different, different options to put onto one chassis. I just think that there's, there's basically no parallel. Um, other than, you know, when you're looking at something like a, I don't know, a flying hive tyrant or something um, that can do, it has the mobility, it's super durable, it has psychic, it can have shooting, it can be really good in combat. Um, but then you're looking at uh, actually generally a much more expensive model. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's always this trip. And besides the fact that, you know, um, that crisis commanders are characters so like you can't shoot at them mm-hmm. um unless they're the closest thing so despite the fact that they have this increased mobility and and durability they're they're not so tough that they become like a non-character thing that you can just shoot at yeah um, they're they're just great they, they can do pretty much anything um and i feel like a lot of what we could say about them we basically have already said when we discussed crisis suits mm-hmm. um in addition to us talking now about how we field our commanders the way that we do and that there are so many other options as well that you could use them as mm. um yeah just just no uh end of of flexibility and diverse options that you can use for commanders mm. um and it does kind of brings it nicely on sorry no go ahead uh, I was going to say it, was, it, it brings it quite nicely on when you mentioned about the uh, the hive tyrant. I mean, obviously, the wound counts the hive tyrants more uh, yeah. can make it a bullet magnet. Yes, um, yes, but even then, the commanders don't have that um, kind of fault to you know go against them because yeah. they also can perform that same ability um, that the hive tyrant can in the cold star suit. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, and that, yeah, that is a perfect segue. Um, the last of the commander options and the reason that I kept it uh, separate from the other two is that there's actually enough of a difference here, I think, to warrant talking about him tactically in a different sense from the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the commander in XV-86 Cold Star Battlesuit. Uh, this is essentially an enforcer battlesuit with fins on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's extra extra fast uh incredibly cool to imagine how these things actually must maneuver about around the battlefield mm-hmm. um it's uh an enforcer battle suit in in stats um the only difference is that it has a whopping 20 inch move and mm-hmm. when it advances you just add 20 inches to its move instead of which rolling, is insane <laughs> which is insane it can cover more than half the board in a single move if you want it to Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely speed demon unit. I, I love the flexibility that that affords. Um, I, it's funny enough, as much as I love the cold star, I do not use this. I've, I've never used one in my army. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always considered them something of a kamikaze unit. 
um, where they they fly out and then they pop a tank or something with four fusion because that's what people seem to love to do. And yeah. then they're just sitting there and they're the closest enemy unit so they can be targeted. And then mm-hmm. typically they would just get killed. Yeah. Um, so I don't think that Tau would ever choose to fight like that mm-hmm. um, based on, you know, the, the narrative and the lore and the way that they seem to really value life. They don't, they're not really the, the species to make like weird heroic last stand charge things. They typically, like you said, they'll fall back if it means they'll gain a strategic advantage or they won't lose soldiers and then they'll just retake it later when they have the means. Mm. Um, so the idea of a cold star commander to me feels like a really, really desperate sort of strategy that Tau would only employ in the direst of circumstances. And um, it, it, I just mean the way that people use them normally, not just like getting in the suit. Like that's, yeah. that's fine. It makes perfect sense that a commander would want that kind of mobility. Um, but as far as the way people use them as sort of like they fly in like a bomb and then blow something up and then they're sort of just sitting there. Um, that right. doesn't, feel very towy to me so i i've just never used them in that regard but uh, what do you what do you think about them Noel? um I, I, I kind of agree i mean i've i don't own one i i kind of i don't see myself ever wanting to field one for the for exactly the reasons you talked about um mm-hmm. i just don't think that traditional way of using it like a fusion bomb, uh, just charge out the field and unload and then it gets shot the next mm-hmm. go. I, th- I think it's a true waste. Um, I mean, I kind of understand why you'd want to have one because it can literally be wherever you want it to be. Um, sure. And for something um, so so mobile in an army that has mobility but not necessarily the speed to cover the distance this can actually plug that gap yes so for late objective grabbing um it's pretty much a given it can sit where you want it to and in a a maelstrom get type game it can literally jump from objective marker to objective marker um with impunity as long as kind of you know there it's open to it um And I think that's I, I'm, it's kind of that unit where, yeah, I, it, it kind of doesn't almost have that synergy because of the movement, because it's yeah. so extremely different to anything else. Um, it's kind of hard to make it sit um, with a kind of loose battle plan because you're either got that castle element or you've got that drop-in element. Yeah. Um, while you can man to strike it. Um it's kind of yeah it's it's kind of it can be everywhere it needs to be and do what it needs to do to support but you need to use it as such and then you're kind of you're spending more points on a commander that can kind of do the same um without having to rely on the other things that it can't have Mm -hmm. um because yeah i mean it has the movement um which it would be silly not to use for but you're kind of there's certain things you can't take like on the enforcer to kind of make it more survivable. Um, it will be a bullet magnet that people will try and hunt out because people are more than aware of its mobility now. Yeah, um, yeah. And I just don't think it, it's, it, it, it lacks a certain finesse that you can kind of really put 
into the rest of your army by not having it there. Yeah. Um, it's almost like when you have one in your force, you're kind of, you're using it as a one trick pony or you're trying to have to build your entire strategy in game around this one unit that can be everywhere. Um, uh, so, I mean, if you had, I suppose, kind of, you know, you know, you were a master tactician and there's something which I'm not, I'm sure there's versatility there that you can basically, you can have separate elements across the board and have it to be those key, have it to be in those key areas at a time where it's yeah. needed. So you can give it the extra buffs, support, wherever. Um, because like you said, you've got the stratagems, you know, so if you need to be over there and then not shoot, then you kind of, you know, you, you can provide those perks, yeah. um, that kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, I just, there's too many variables then. Um, yeah. And you have to play as Tau. Yeah. For me, you have to play knowing what your synergies are um, and kind of have that kind of with your full packs anyway. Yeah. And that tends to be without having to factor in like a cold star suit. Um, right. So, yeah. So I don't get me wrong. I, I, I get the point of it, but for me, I, yeah, I pass, but and, and it is, it's, I can't see past the utility of using it, how people do as that kind of, you know, just, just that rush and smash and, you know, blow its load. And then, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Um, sort of the HQ equivalent of a sky ray gunship or something. Yeah, 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 exactly that. Um, so yeah, it's it's a shame because the model is gorgeous. Um, yeah, but yeah, I just yeah yeah no, I just I I, I can't see it for me. Yeah, uh, it just doesn't seem to work. Yeah, um, and it, it is it's also one of those things as well. I mean, it's it's a, it's the silly thing that you can equip it with drones. But none <laughs> of those drones have the same movement. Yeah, they can't keep up. <laughs> I don't think anything can really keep up with this thing apart from like flyers. Right. Uh, actual flyers. Yeah. yeah, actual flyers. And kind of for the same points cost, um, just take the flyers because it can provide more more fire. <laughs> yeah, and it's just more durable and, you know, it's not such a hammer blow when you lose it the way that it would be to lose a, a commander. Mm. Um, it yeah. just It's so silly, I think, that Tau would would do something like that, knowing their commander's just going to get blown away, that they would just be like, yeah, well, we're just going to send them out anyway because there's a tank out there that needs to get blown up or something. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it, it is a suicide unit and a, a pricey one at that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just, you know, when you've got, yeah, I think you could just utilize, you can utilize commanders in such a better way than just a, have him as that yeah that kamikaze element um because there's just so much cost to that kamikaze element uh <laughs> yeah way too much it's just it's just weird i mean like it's not that he's not worth taking i just don't think he's worth using like that and then if he's not going to be used like that i just don't think he's worth spending the extra points on for that mobility because my commander is already one of the faster things in the army um, it's not like I need him to be outpacing the rest of my army. If right. if anything, I would use him like you said as a late a late game objective grabbing unit. But basically, then I'm just putting points into him so that eventually he could do that. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, in some game instances, that just isn't even relevant anyway. So, I don't know. It's just a it's a weird sort of um, I don't know where he fits in a Tau list, even though I think he his abilities are really cool. I think they are too standalone to make a ton of sense in the context of a Tau yeah. army and the way the Tau think and stuff. Yeah, because I mean, th- I mean, Tau rely on that synergy, that that kind of you know. I mean, we talked about it throughout this series of uh, talks that kind of you know, it's never um, even when we talk about you know these separate entries, you never consider it um, when you're building an army as just oh, I need that one unit because you always need the support units to go with it, and yeah. it's one unit that probably doesn't need any support um, or. If you're going to give it the support, there's just you can do it better elsewhere yep. in the decks. Um, for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm happy if uh, you know people kind of you know, you know, I'm happy to argue and say I'm wrong, and that you know I'm I'm, I'm missing a trick here, and you know this is it's good because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've never seen that play out, um, or. Um, you know, heard of some compelling arguments, uh, you know, made me think otherwise, really. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel the same. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that pretty much covers the commanders sort of at all. Um, so then we move on to something that you probably don't ever see any of in your own list and all, which is the ethereal options. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, they're, 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 the, you know, they're getting in the way of the true grace of good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, we have a couple named ethereals here, and then we have just the standard ethereal. Um, and the two named ethereals, this is one of the rare non-Tau-sept characters uh, in the form of Aun Shi, who is also one of the formative characters when the Tau first arrived. Um, he was the only named ethereal at the time. And else uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he he's actually really cool. He comes from Viorla, um, and he held off, I believe, a massive orc incursion, um, and sort of provided uh, a very a much needed sort of morale boost that allowed them to withstand an unbelievably huge horde of, of orcs when they were vastly outnumbered. Mm. Um, and uh, that was sort of where he made his name for himself um, and he's become a bit of a hero ever since I know I'm skipping over Aun Va but I just wanted to jump to Aun Chi because he's Viorla um, yeah and so cool, cool. But, <laughs> yeah 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 um, so do you see uh, no a, a reason to take Aun Chi over a normal ethereal do you think you would if you played Viorla um, if I played Viola, I would, because obviously you do have all the abilities that every ethereal has. Um, yeah. For me, I love the fact that, um, again, it's, and it, because it's the fluff and because um, obviously there's things like Farsight hails from Viola originally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're, they're the hot-blooded uh, set world, where it's kind of, you know, they're a bit more fiery. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's even reflected in, you know, the stoic you know, impassive ethereals where you've got Onshi, and this is the reason why it's part of an outcast, essentially a bit of an outcast, in that you've got 
this fiery ethereal cast uh you know uh guy and he's also you know for Tao anyway i mean not in the same league as you know um farsight or you know um you know a commander equipped with uh the onaga donkey punch or the fusion mm. or something but you know he's he's a close combat guy uh yeah. you know and he's not frightened to get his hands dirty and lead the greys are good from the front um mm-hmm. i mean don't get me wrong he's against something that again that is uh you know like a very close combat orientated army or if he's going to up against something that can you know really pack a punch he's yeah. really going to stand that much of a chance um but in the right situation he's actually can be pretty devastating so yeah um i mean Especially in this edition, I think he's kind of it's it's situational, but I think he can be a bit of an unsung hero. Mm -hmm. um, He's got a weapon skill of two, which for again for 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 many Tau units that's unheard of in in greatness, really. Um, He's also got five attacks, which is really like that's not many characters have that many, you know. He's a nippy combatant. Um, yeah, he doesn't have a save, um, so he need, he really needs to be striking first. Right. Um, but you know, he's got a four up in the bomb, so he can you know he could potentially survive a fair chunk, um, except for multi damage weapons. Right. Um, but again, you don't want him with a close against a close combat beast that your opponent has. Um, but five attacks at strength five, AP minus two. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. <laughs> no, it's not at all. And the fact, oh, hang on a minute, because this is uh, this is almost like I'm reading this the first time again. Because obviously I don't play ethereals, right? Um, but reading this, I mean, he's got a four up involve. Yeah, that's rerollable. Yeah. Yep. Why are you yep. fielding this guy? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, I. I I rarely see Viola armies anyway, but yeah. I really am surprised that we don't hear more about him because with his stat line, I mean, he could make a mess of a unit of like space Marines in combat, um, which is saying a lot for, uh, what is essentially just a normal Tau dude. Hmm. Um, you know, he's not in a battle suit. He's just on, on foot. Um, yeah, he has this really cool blade master rule where you can either um, every fight phase you get to choose which of these abilities you want to give him. One gives him AP minus two, and the other lets him re-roll his four up invuln. So any turn where he's receiving a charge and you want him to live, you just give him the re-roll the invuln. And any turn where he makes a charge and it's some clutch moment where you know if he breaks the unit, then you get a. a you know, a point for the game or you get some territory that, you know, just some clutch moment or whatever. If you give him that AP minus two, he's maybe making it so that like Imperial Guard don't have a save or he's making Space Marines have a, a, you know, a five up save, which is like not good. And then you're already wounding them on threes because the strength of the blade. Yeah. It's like he he can do some work. I mean, he really can. And it's, it's it's kind of I mean I kind of understand it because like for an attachment all your sets have got to be the same, right? Um, but yeah, I mean you know I mean Viola isn't bad as a set. 
no, no, it's not. And you do see them a fair bit on, uh, you know, on, on in, you know, you see a fair few town players playing playing viola sets, mm-hmm. but never this guy. And uh, right. and yeah, just why? why? Why wouldn't you? It's he's basically, you know, if I was gonna if I had viola sets and I was gonna have an ethereal um, and just the one, um, I would I, I would take Ornchi over a standard ethereal any time. Oh um, yeah, it's, that's just. Yeah, I mean, just knowing that kind of, you know, he can provide an extra punch, you know, something's going to come in and charge their charge your gun line. Obviously, he's going to be behind anyway. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, when the tower gets, you know, if the tower gets smushed or whatever, then it's just like, you know, it's just like he can hold back and, you know, he's got that. He's got he's got that re-rollable invuln or he just literally just goes in and just, you know, lays some stack down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, he's, yeah. I think kind of uh, wow, just wow. Yeah, no, I yeah. Really, really haven't read his rules in this edition, and um, I think now more than ever, really, he's um, yeah, much more viable as an option. Uh, yeah, so people get out there, people of the world, buy on cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, not only that, I mean, the model is awesome. Uh, mm. I still think he's got a great design. You know, he's got like a real kung fu vibe to him with that double volge sort of honor blade yeah um he's just a very very unique tau character that i think still that model has a lot of badassery about it and um and you know he offers the standard ethereal buffs which i think are are actually super useful yeah um so it was actually back in the day. It was a lot more devastating, I think, to lose a, an ethereal in game than it is now. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, they they now basically just provide this this great morale buff. Um, they give a leadership nine bubble, and uh, they give these invocation of the elements rules. Now I'm just basically getting into the ethereal stat line, but. Yeah, we'll cover it in all three of these. These uh, yeah, because I mean, Ethereal is kind of like yeah, they've all got it anyway, so it's worthwhile mentioning now. Yeah, so failure is not an option. Uh, units within Tau um, Tau Empire units within six inches of a friendly Ethereal use his leadership instead of their own, and his is a whopping nine. Um, if you use Sasea, then it's leadership ten, and your whole army around him is leadership ten, which is awesome. Um, but uh, even the nine is, I think, incredible, especially when you combine it with uh, bonding knife ritual. Town mm-hmm. can actually be pretty hard to displace, um, like big ground on the grounds of morale. Uh, I think more so than you might think. Another humanoid army like uh, Imperial Guard, I think they don't have the same sort of natural advantages to their morale that Tau have. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's things like the ethereal and and combined that great synergy with the bonding knife ritual. I think that makes them really hard to displace. If you use Sasea, it's another point of leadership. Um, just all all around, I, I think it's great. Um, Tau actually have pretty solid, I think, uh, morale despite their basic infantry having like a, a leadership six or whatever. Um, but yeah, so. That's the Ethereal's ability, and then the other one, Invocation of the Elements. So basically, every turn in your movement phase, you choose which of these abilities you want your Ethereal to be doing, and it affects all 
uh, infantry and battle suit units within six inches of the ethereal. Um, you can do column of tides, which is that you subtract one from any morale test made for the affected units. Again, that's another way to augment all those existing morale buffs, which is super cool. Um, you can do storm of fire, where the units in that bubble re-roll hit rolls of one in the shooting phase if they remain stationary. Um, this, f- to me, feel I think it's situationally good, mm-hmm. but also feels I think pretty redundant. There's there's so many re-rolling ones to hit in the shooting phase buffs already in a Tau army. Yeah, um, but uh, it's not useless. It's just that like let's say you're out of drones, suddenly you could do this and it would be like a nice uh, backup solution. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have Sense of Stone. This tends to be the most useful to me, which is that um, whenever a model in an affected unit, so within six inches of him, loses a wound, uh, on a six, D6 roll of a six, they ignore that wound. So essentially you're ignoring wounds and mortal wounds, um, sort of like the uh, Iron Hands chapter tactic. Yeah. Um, which I think that's super useful. It's just a nice little buff that you can constantly have around your ethereal to make your army that much tougher to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Zephyr's Grace, you can uh, re-roll the dice for affected units when they advance. So depending on the type of army you're building, I think that is also a really good one. It works um, sort of as like a, a diluted but free to use every turn sort of Montka type ability. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, at least uh, I'd, I'd say kind of the Zephyr's Grace works very well with a Moncar. Um, yeah. Because then obviously you're, you're, you're firing and you can move in advance and fire assault without penalty, or you can move um, obviously the heavy without um, penalty. But, you know, for those assault, you know, um, units, um, being able to move and advance and have a reroll on your advance yep. uh, um, just makes it stick better, doesn't it, really? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'd say used in combination, that's definitely a, a viable thing. Yeah, it's uh, great. to run by. Definitely. So, those are all the Ethereal's abilities. I would say the Ethereal is definitely a unit that you take because of its abilities. You don't want to use this model for any fighting. Unless uh, you're on Chi. <laughs> yeah, unless you're on Chi. Um, which I think is the benefit really of worth talking about him. The only advantage I would say that, that a normal ethereal has over Aunchi is that um, the normal ethereal can take a hover drone, um, which is like five more points, but it mm-hmm. makes their move be eight inches instead of six, and they gain the fly and jetpack keywords. Okay. Um, so that to me is actually awesome because it means your ethereal becomes as mobile as a crisis battle suit essentially mm-hmm. um and it allows him to just sort of pop around and be wherever he needs to you can jump over a wall you can do whatever you need to do and just get him out of dodge if you're trying to keep him safe or move him up and keep pace with the rest of your army if you're if you're on the move if you're on the hunt mm-hmm. um it it adds a level of flexibility that i think is way more important than like deciding whether or not you give him equalizers or an honor blade to fight with yeah um, and uh the, i think those are really more cosmetic than anything that kind of choice mm-hmm. um and basically the difference is just equalizers uh he gains an extra attack and he gains gains a point of ap in combat mm-hmm. whereas the so honor blade he's, he's never going to really take anything out 
Yeah, and Maybe with the Honor Blade, he becomes strength five, but he has no AP, and he has just the, the standard three attacks. So, I mean, like, if this guy is fighting in combat, you're already probably so far on the back foot um, that it's not, you know, the difference between those two weapons is just so inconsequential. Yeah. Um, but in the hands of Aunxi, I think that you're looking at a character that actually can potentially survive a combat situation and inflict damage back. So if you're already using him with Viorla, which is a very uh, sort of offensive-based Tau army, then I can see situations where maybe he would be getting into combat. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy that could, like, charge a unit of scouts or something and actually have the damage output to deal with them or he could charge a small unit of some sort of infiltrating unit that deep strikes behind your lines if you're moving forward or something mm. and he can he has i think the damage output to potentially survive that um especially if he's being backed up by support or at least like clear out a unit that's already been like shot mm. up in the shooting phase or something um he has that kind of flexibility where I think, I, I don't know if it's like better than just having an ethereal on a drone with that super mobility by comparison, but it, it's an alternative form, I think, of like extra usefulness that isn't just like, oh, I'm giving him one of two useless weapons in combat the way I would with a normal ethereal. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think kind of, um, again, going back to Anshi, it's just like, you know, it's he he can reliably mess up light infantry. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and kind of, you know, that in its own right, you know, just for, a, you know, a, technically a very cheap HQ. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd say, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you were, if you were Viola, you're always taken. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and and he's, he's, I think he's already made his points up just by, the natural buffs that an ethereal gives. I do think ethereals are worth taking, and I usually have one in my army. Um, but I, I think that, you know, anything that he can do in combat is almost just like above and beyond mm. him already sort of paying for himself, just in his value as a as a buffing uh, yeah. HQ unit. Yeah, it's a little extra sugar, but you know that's some nice sugar to have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's Anshi, that's the standard ethereal, and then there's Aunva, which is the Tau Empire's character ethereal. Space um, <laughs> What's that? Space Pope. Yeah. This guy, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a huge fan of this guy as an individual. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, in, in the law, fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's pretty a, shady, for sure. He's a dick. Yeah. And... Um, he feels so duplicitous and uh, just sort of insidious and in what he is about and his politics and, and you know, is he even alive? Is he just a simulation at this point? Um, and, and the Tao sort of don't know that they're, they're, you know, whatever element they use to control their, the people, the ethereals have sort of convinced everyone that he's still the real deal. Yeah. And um, he, he's sort of the epitome of like the, I think the um, corruption of their propagandist sort of stance. Mm -hmm. um, 
which makes him feel pretty gross to me. And, and I'm not a fan of the character. I mean, like, I like that he exists in the lore. I like that he's a sort of villainous dude. Yeah. Um, but I don't like him. Yeah, I think he's like in the law. Anything you read about him, whether it's the Damocles stuff or kind of any of the books, he's 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 kind of like the Erebus of the Tau Empire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, there's there's just really not a lot to like about this guy. Uh, just the way he acts and behaves, and the way he kind of passes things off. He's he's, he's a true politician. Uh, yes, um, but always to his own needs and not really to. Well, I mean, you could argue it is to the greater good. Um, that's the that, that's the most horrible thing about him um, is that kind of you know, in a certain kind of point of view, he kind of maybe has a point, but the way he goes about everything um, and the way he lords it um, and has this just lack of honor that the rest of the Tao Empire, you know, naturally has. Yeah. Uh, um, it's just yeah it's it's just kind of it's, it's yeah it's just an arsehole yeah <laughs> no he is he is that yeah um and i think you're wrong it's one of those things i mean it is kind of one of my favorite races but you know um again if you haven't read it um from the seventh edition there was the warzone damocles books and it's mm -hmm. worth reading i mean i know it's seventh edition so but i mean you could you can use the books in there to um within eighth edition change them around to kind of uh play it out um still um, it's still viable but the whole background pieces in those two books are amazing the way it tells it out mm -hmm. um and yeah, just um, if you haven't read it, read it. But yeah, I mean, just the fact that now off the back of this and the amount of uh, because of his hubris and um, just being a general dick, um, the fact that now the entire Tao Empire, um, you know, barring the far side enclaves, um, is supporting essentially. Um, it is very 1984, really. Um, yeah. You're supporting this grand leader um, unequivocally. And um, yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's technically it's, he's the Wizard of Oz. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a, you know, it's, it's just literally a puppet. Yeah. Of, of yeah. light and, you know, that's a hologram. And, um, you know, uh, just this past figurehead that, you know, I mean, really. Uh, you, you, it does make you wonder, kind of, you know, um, yes, would the, would the Tao Empire be completely rocked by the loss of the Ethereal Supreme? Yes. But, you know, would the Tao be in a better position for it, you know, a few hundred years later and all the rest of it? Undoubtedly. Oh, yeah. Uh, because, you know, it's not like he's the only ever Superior Supreme, uh, superior, uh, words, Ethereal Supreme to ever live. Right. Um, uh, so you know he, he took over from Ennui, um and he died of old age so the fact that he was on the front line you know not to be unexpected and you know you could you could argue and rally it around that kind of you know now it's we've got to go all out um, and you know but yeah, no. Anyway, it's it, it's a it's a thing. It's a great story. Um, I did cheer when he bought it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. he went out like a, a, a chump. Um, yeah, because like you would expect him to, like you would expect him to, um, and um, yeah, I can't say. I, I well, there might be that one person out there that kind of you know shed a tear, um, 
if you were, shame on you. you should... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. So, um, but yeah, no. Really, really. Uh, I know he he has got great um, stats, and again, it's yeah. one of those things. Um, you know, in game, despite the fact and fluff, he's a complete douche. Um, but in game, yeah, it's just that. I, I, I love the I love the extra bits he has because again, like there's a supreme loyalty, so you can reroll morales. Um, so again, just makes those um, your units really survivable against morale tests. Yep. Uh, um, you know, and that's combined with the failure is not an option. Um, you've got all the buffs. You've got. I mean, the honor guard is kind of you know by the by, but even then, you're talking about you know two people dishing out. Stick strength five AP dash. So I mean, yeah, it's kind of a bit like Hornchi, but at least Hornchi has the um, uh, AP minus two, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, which kind of really you know makes it count. Right. Uh, but I do like the paradox of duality thing that he had. Yeah, that's a really cool role. Yeah, um, in seventh it was it was it was funny because you know you you'd obviously be able to target a character and you know you'd obviously want to try and take him out with all the big guns and any you know the bigger the gun the more chance it would do sweet fa <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and i like the fact that's still reflected so kind of you know the bigger the ap the bigger his bonus to his savings <laughs> yeah exactly um so and that and the fact that he's you know he doesn't have the wounds despite the fact it's all essentially irrelevant because he's a hologram um, <laughs> um so yeah no it is one of those things um but i like the fact you you, you don't see him now people are willing to you know people hated him in the law people yeah. are willing to let him die by never fielding him so <laughs> i'm happy with that life choice yeah yeah i am too um <laughs> I'm, yeah, I think on the table, like, he's definitely good. Um, I think the supreme loyalty rule is really good, that your whole army can reroll morale phases, or morale tests. Um, again, that stacks crazily with all his existing buffs and bonding knife ritual and stuff. It makes Tau actually pretty tough to displace on a morale standpoint. Um, and then, you know, with Grand Invocation of the Elements... He can do like two of those buffs at the same time than any other ethereal can only do one of. Um, so like that's good and everything. I kind of feel like he's not necessarily better than just taking two ethereals. Um, other than that supreme loyalty rule. Uh, I do have a question. Maybe you can clarify this. Um, this is just a rules question. Okay. But it says, you know, he is a, he's, he's a character. Um, but he sort of is in a unit with the two uh, ethereal guards, and the ethereal guards don't have the character keyword. No. Um, can does that mean that the whole unit can be targeted? Um, I would say because um, technically, damn it. So there is no rule that basically says that they are a once deployed or anything that they are a separate unit. Right. So, because the character keyword is in there, mm -hmm. I would I, I would say you can't target it. Okay. Um, it's either that or you can. It, I, I, maybe it's an over oversight that's mm -hmm. never been kind of looked at. 
Um, but I, you know, it, sensibly, I play it that they're maybe two separate things, and the ethereal's guard could be taken out. But again, it's just that kind of makes no sense anyway, because by and large, with because they they don't have the wound count. You know, you talk about getting up close and personal, and really, at the end of the day, two two ethereal honor guards with a five up save. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, it, it doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, you know, if you, if you, if you get up close and personal to them in combat, they're not going to live. They're not going to live. No. Um, but nor do you expect them to. Um, so I, I don't know. Yeah, it's a weird. It's a weird thing. I would say just by the facts and into the facts that you know, um, unless there's something in the actual rules that says kind of you know. But yeah, no, no, no. They're all one unit. Yeah, they're just one unit. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I just never know how things like that interact. I never know if like things are canceling out the character keyword by, yeah, you know, you adding things to it. I know in the case of like drones dropping down with mm -hmm. a character, they become their own unit, and that isn't an issue at that point. But yeah. I, I, I suppose you're kind of you've got a mixed bag in that you've got a unit of three, yeah, and only one of those has a character keyword, right? Yeah. So I would say. Technically, you could. Yeah. It's very strange. It is very strange. I'd say technically you could, and you can go, I'm targeting. That's actually really bad. That, that, that needs a retcon. Well, technically, <laughs> Oliver just needs to be removed from the codex. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but technically, rules is written. You, if you if you had a, you know something that spilled over, um, yeah. I suppose it, I suppose at that point it wouldn't spill over because you'd be then targeting his character. So actually, no, forget what I was about to say because um, I was going to say if you could target them, then you could have the damage spill over and then it goes to Ornvar. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously Ornvar would be able to tank a lot unless it was small arms fire. But um, I'd say at that point you're then treating that one model in the unit which does have a character rule so it wouldn't be able to be targeted yeah like if, if his guard were killed he would become a character and yeah. he would be untargetable i think that's i mean the way that i read it that is how it looks um yeah. you guys listening if if you have a an opinion about this if you think it's supposed to a function in a way that we are not thinking then let us know um i'm not sure if there's a if there's like a cut and dry way to get around this or, or explain it um or if it really is just a rules oversight um or if it was corrected somewhere and i just haven't seen in the uh faqs or, or erratas or anything um but i feel like this is not the only instance of a character that is part of a squad that is not all characters yeah um so also they kind of they usually it's you know you don't treat this thing as a thing and you know it just gets removed from play or something yeah um, it doesn't seem to be anything like that here i would say yeah. you target them because they don't have the character keyword you just remove the bodyguard it gets to any if there's any spillover it then becomes your you know you're then targeting a character yeah and can't do um, that's, yeah, that's what it sounds like to me too. Yeah, and then um, maybe, so so basically, what happens? It would, what it would be like in real life um, if you know Warhammer was a real life thing. You know, bodyguard would just get shot to pieces. Ornvar would flicker a bit, and he'd look around sheepishly and go, "Not a hologram, honest." <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you throw up the peace signs. Yeah. Uh, pull a Nixon. And then, yeah. yeah. It'd be like um, Golden Eye. <laughs> yeah. I'm invincible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then he freezes in the. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Liquid nitrogen. But that's exactly how that plays out. <laughs> exactly. Every time. So, so next time, every every time I see you on bar now, I'm going to picture him in a Hawaiian shirt and a really bad Russian accent. Clicking a pen. Obnoxious. Clicking a pen. Yeah. Clicking. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's exactly it too. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, just just so that's on bar. Um, actually, I want to go on a, on a quick, just because we've been talking about these weird character squad interaction things mm-hmm. um do you know how it works with something like a squad of warlocks like are they untargetable because they're all characters Ooh, okay so as in like the warlock conclave yeah yeah, yeah like that okay uh very good question um <laughs> i'm sure there's just just because they're um elder and and you know they they for some reason get to do everything um because just just because just because because that's the way elder work um i would probably say i don't think that actually let me let, let, let me let me let me not guess and let me just go straight to the um the thing on them go to the source look at the source go straight to the source Let, okay. let's answer this uh because i don't know um i've always had that question and i've never found an answer to it. i've never really like looked for a definitive so answer a warlock skyrunner conclave does not have the character keyword okay a warlock conclave also does not have a character keyword, which actually okay. makes sense because it's like a strength in numbers type thing that they kind right. of, by, by, by our powers combined, we can, we can pull out a psychic power out of a bump. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So that makes sense. They don't, yeah. that's not the same thing. Um, right. so, yeah. So that's, that, you know, that's just, that, that's just that. <laughs> so that, you know, I mean, not to talk about Eldar too much, but I've always sort of thought, how can that be worth the risk of them becoming targetable, um, as think, opposed to taking them individually. They're in numbers anyway. Um, oh, are they cheaper? Yeah, I, I think they're cheaper generally. Um, okay. uh, but, I mean, if you take them in a conclave, yeah, I, I, I think I, I think if you're not taking like farces and kind of you know super psychic, well, um, you know, um, elder lists, then. Mm. Warlock conclaves is a strong uh, option. Um, I think um, I can't remember exactly what the points are off the top of my head, um, but yeah, no. Um, yeah, I mean they've all gone up significantly uh, yeah. with the FAQs, which is fair enough because um, they are elder psychers are really good. Yeah, um, but, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's kind of one of those. I think for for the most part. Um, but yeah, I mean, Warlock Conclave is you know it's a thirty points model. Okay. So you know, not not terrible. Yeah. Um, you know, and you can take up to ten. Um, yeah, yeah. And when I say thirty points a model, that's you know from the decks. I'm sure it's been adjusted a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I mean, if you're going, I mean, it's Elder. If you're going Psychers, you just take Eldrad. 
because you know um why wouldn't you uh, he's such a boss yeah he's so he's, good he is so undercosted for what he can do points <laughs> points. um i oh, he, he he's damned frustrating to play against uh, yeah. and i played against him a lot uh, <laughs> um yeah. Oh, just mm. one day, one day I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 you know, I'll get to tear him a new one. Um, yeah. but you know, he, he always remains elusive yeah. and he, he always just manages to kind of scrape, scrape kind of survival out the skit, you know, from somewhere. Yeah. Uh, he is, he is a bit of a Bane character for me. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he's, He's so awesome. I love his lore and everything too. He's such an awesome character. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the fact that he's kind of always there, kind of even down to kind of like back in the horror heresy and everything. Yeah, yeah. I love like his attempt to sort of appeal to Fulgrim. Yeah. Uh, and everything that was such a such an awesome moment on his yeah. part, and and that he still failed and everything. I just I just love all. Th- I love. Yeah. The burden and, and, that must be on his shoulders is just so unbelievably huge. Yeah. And the parts he plays kind of like throughout kind of uh, the Horus Heresy as well, just with the, um, you know, um, with the Cabal. Uh, yeah. And kind of, um, whereabouts are you on the Horus Heresy? I know we're way segueing off town, but. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm in, I just finished Fear to Tread. Okay. Um, I'm in Tales of Treachery now. Okay. Yeah, Eldrad appears a few more times later on. I'm, I'm, nice. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll let you come to it, but it's it, it's always a cool thing. Yeah, I love uh, him. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, we're, this is a this is a podcast about Tao. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, That's so schedule program. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that was a very long commercial break. Um, now we're back to Tau and we're talking about another excellent HQ unit option, I think, which is the Cadre Fireblade. Never leave home without one. Yeah, the Fireblade is just terrific. Uh, such a great buffing unit for all your infantry. Um, he, he offers, uh, we don't have to talk too much about him. I feel like we actually discussed the Fireblade like quite a bit, um, in previous episodes, but he provides uh, a rule called volley fire, which makes it so that um, sept units within six inches of him um, that have uh, pulse rapid based. fire. Yeah, pulse pulse yeah. based weapons. It, it's, it's, it's pretty much every pulsing apart from the pulse. Um, uh, the, 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 the Yeah, the ones that the breaches have. Yeah, any anything else, it gets an additional shot um, within half range. Mm. So for, you know, pulse carbines, which have assault two, uh, it becomes assault three, essentially at nine inches. And for fire warriors with their 30 inch pulse rifles, it becomes three shots at 15 inches. Mm. Um, This is why I always love having um, a few squads of gun drones around the backfield, because if anything kind of comes in and... um, uh, tries to charge the castle element. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, I mean, not like fire warriors themselves don't dish out hail shots of like three each. Sure. Um, being able to kind of, you know, keep some gun drones in the back as well. And, yeah. you know, I mean, <laughs> just um, the fact that kind of, you know, obviously they've got two uh, pulse carbines. 
<laughs> yeah, so that's six shots per drone at half range. Uh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's an extra <laughs> shot. So yeah, six six shots per drone. Um, Unbelievable. <laughs> it's squads of four, so yeah, do the maths. Take multiple squads, you know, along with your along with your fire warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, makes you know. Granted, you're still overwatching on sixes unless you're tau set, but you know. That's a lot of shots. Yep. <laughs> That's an awful lot of shots. I I just love it. I think um, that is such a great ability, and it always makes the fireblade worth taking because they're super cheap. Um, and and in addition to that, he has a marker light, and he has a two up ballistic skill. So he's just a great quick shot with a marker light as well. Um, if you want to use him in that capacity, he also has five wounds, which is like kind of crazy because mm. he's just an infantryman like he has yeah. more wounds than an ethereal yeah i've had a few games where he's been su- surprisingly survivable <laughs> yeah yeah um I, I remember one of the earliest days like you, you, i know it's seven so it's slightly different rules but even back mm-hmm. then he had um higher wounds and attacks and you were kind of would have given him credit for and, um, I, I remember him. I, I mean, granted, this and this involved my opponent at the time completely whiffing some rolls, mm-hmm. but he survived two rounds of combat against a squad of Terminators. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Yeah, he had no business surviving that. No, no, that's it that's just rounds. stupid. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he just managed to. It wasn't close combat um, Terminators, and he just managed to just survive rolls and because. Yeah that many wounds it was just yeah funny um i mean again it doesn't have the ap but you know i mean with three attacks uh, ap dash that's not bad yeah um and weapon skill three up too on a yeah, yeah so i mean there's a survival amount of hits again we're talking about it's not really going to do anything with light infantry so except for light infantry so right. uh, against guard or i mean even against elder guardians he can kind sure. of he can churn out the hits uh, to bolster up the fire warriors, uh, yeah. um, things like that. But yeah, I mean, obviously, like any or pretty much all Tau um, units, you don't, you, you know, if if combat's the thing, it, you know, nine times out of ten, is not going to win well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like to think of the Fireblade as sort of like the the gunny sergeant in a Tau army. You know, he's just that grizzled mm. veteran who who denied a bunch of promotions for the sake of like staying on the front line knowing yeah. that he was most helpful when he was you know leading the troops at the front lines and stuff yeah um it's and exactly they in the law because i mean they literally have denied the mantle um yeah of the battle suit um you know they they, they proven themselves um time and time again and you know they almost exemplify the greater good because they're they're sacrificing their own um, elevation and status uh, to basically be on the front line with uh, with their troops and yeah. you know basically uh, you know and so it's it is it's a it's a mark of a, you know they're, they're treated with great respect in the law uh, yeah because of the sacrifice they make you know and it's it's, it's an example of uh, just the greater good in work. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, they're, they're awesome in every way. Uh, yeah, they really are. I just love, I love these guys. Um, you imagine they're they're as hard as bark too. They're just mm. super, super tough dudes, and and maybe that's why they have those five wounds. Is they're just 
they've just seen it all. You know, they have that thousand yard stare. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and they don't do it from the safety of a battlesuit. Um, yeah. The, the, the Chuck Norris of the Tau Empire. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you know, they, you know, they're, 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 the, they're the kind of towel that, you know, they can throw, they can throw a bird and kill two stones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> a snake would bite them. And after many painful days, the snake would die and not them. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's the Fireblade. I mean, I think, I think they're an auto include in pretty much any Tau army, unless you're not using any drones or infantry. Um, yeah, pretty much. And uh, even then, I think they're a nice, cheeky little, if you're trying to fill an HQ slot cheaply and also want uh, an accurate little marker light, um, even without their troop supporting buff, I think they're worth considering. Mm. Um, so yeah, just a, just a great unit, super, super useful HQ unit that is just so cheap to take too. Yeah. Um, so then um, on to um, the last HQ choice in here is Long Strike, but we actually pretty much covered Long Strike in our heavy support talk. Yeah. Um, so I think our last guy that we really need to talk about here is just Dark Strider. Yeah. Um, which I, one that kind of is worthwhile, kind of like having a brief mention. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dark Strider, I think, is a really cool character. He's sort of. Uh, the equivalent of like a scout veteran sergeant, like the leader of the 10th company of space Marines or something. Hmm. Um, he is, uh, again, like a fire blade. He's someone that I think sort of chose to stay in a position that he could have let his career take him above. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, he is a sort of penultimate pathfinder essentially. Yeah. Um, and his abilities on the table, I think, reflect how good he is at what he does as well. Yeah. Uh, Noel, obviously, you don't play Tau Empire or Tau Sept, but uh, yeah, which is it's, 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 I mean, I love Dark Strider. Uh, yeah. He is, is. I mean, I, I mentioned about him being uh, the Cadre Fireblade being the Chuck Norris of the Tau Empire. Really, Dark Strider is. Um, yeah in the lore as well it's just like he's uh he's a total badass um you know um far east the point again of insubordination um he doesn't mind um making his own rules uh to, and go, goes against the grain and yep. so a few times he's been almost called in because um of disobeying orders mm -hmm. um but you can't really argue with his effectiveness um right that's kind of the law side of things um also again harkening back to that damocles crusade books uh the second one where the assassin strike force go out against uh to try and kill off the um the key uh tau uh characters mm -hmm. um dark strider plays quite a big part in that little part of the book and um yeah absolute badass <laughs> yeah <he's laughs> uh, so awesome yeah um in the game, um, the fact he's got that vanguard ability and the fighting, I mean, the fighting retreat part was amazing because basically, yeah, anything you can basically get them to fall back and still fire. Um, yep. Which is great. Um, but where he comes into his own is the structural analyzer. This rule is so good. It's yeah. so good. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and I love the fact that it's still just as cool in this book as it is the rest of the others, which is basically, so in this edition, it's in the new shooting phase, pick one friendly tower set to infantry unit within six inches, um, pick an enemy unit that's visible to Dark Strider. Until the end of the phase, add one to wound rolls made for friendly tower set to infantry units that attack that target with the unit basically with the picks um slight play slightly different um i remember in seventh edition preview rules i think basically what happened is um again it was to wound rolls i think basically you reduce the the, the thing's toughness mm-hmm. by a point which could be devastating yeah. um because basically then you know that squad of space marines or something else that's toughness four or five you know is basically then like toughness three or something like that um and you know um and even kind of you know lighter tanks skimmers flyers that kind of thing all of a sudden you know it, it, it can you're weakening something and you'd be able to take it down uh or make it you know almost a non-thing and ineffective uh just by being able to have this structure analyze a rule um what i don't like in this edition is because of the set rules Mm -hmm. uh, that he is tau sept only because beforehand you could kind of field him in any other set force yeah yeah Uh, and while fluff wise you would have to kind of you know just go oh yeah he's um he's out scouting and doing what dark strider does and kind of you know he comes across a different set and then you know joins in with a fight um which i've done before kind of you know in seventh edition with my fun <laughs> site enclaves and you know to good effect he's now hampered he's you know unless you're taking tower sets there's no point um but he is cheap he's about the same price as a as a cadre fireblade yep and uh within that as well um that structural analyzer rule is just too good not to not to pass up uh yeah. especially when you're then taking things like um uh with pathfinder specifically um you because you've got um ion yeah. you've got rail you've got rail rifles and yeah. arguably as well you've got the ds8 support guns as well because they're yeah, yeah. within tau sept infantry yep, um yeah. and then you know you're talking about strength seven potentially strength eight weapons mm-hmm. um going against something that kind of you know you're basically adding one to the wound rolls so you know i mean arguably if you you know you're wounding on threes you're then all of a sudden wounding on twos yeah uh, um you know um you're being able to pack a lot of a heavier punch um so if you're adding if you're adding pathfinders into your army on mass and you've got that spare 40 points i could think of worse places to spend it yeah <laughs> yeah i mean to as far as i'm concerned dark strider is like near as much of an auto include as shadow sun if you're mm-hmm. running tau sept and you're taking named characters um that structural analyzer rule is so incredible if you put it on a big blob of fire warriors that are already getting the fire blades support um if you combine it with a pulse accelerator drone to increase the range on the pulse rifles and then you're wounding you're wounding like land raiders and knights on fours Mm. and you're getting a zillion shots it's like it's just death by a thousand cuts. 
Yeah. Um, but it's coming from your basic infantry against yeah. the enemy's toughest stuff. It's it's just crazy. I mean, like that's that's mm. so good. And then when you combine that with the Tau uh, Sept stratagem, um, I think it's like three CP, which is a ton. But you add one to wound rolls against something that's like already suffered a wound from something in your army. Ooh. So. If you stack those and you're wounding a knight on threes with your fire warriors, like brutal. That's insane. That is that's insane to think about. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I you know I don't want to. I don't want to say that he's broken. I don't think he's like broken or anything. But I think that's a great ability, and he's definitely like an auto include type. Oh yeah, it's, it's, I, I don't think that rule is going to break anything, but it does make some stuff extra. It, it does make it really, really powerful. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I mean, it's Tau Sept inventory units within six. Um, right. So, I mean, again, you, you need to blob it up and then, you know, I mean, technically because you're talking about, um, um, you know, generally weak units like Pathfinders, you know, they've only got a five up save. Yeah. You know, I mean, so you can't rely on it too heavy. So I don't think it is a, um, it, yeah, it's just like you said, it's not super broken, but used correctly and in the right situation, I think you can cause a lot of hurt from a very unexpected quarter. Yeah. And um, for so small a cost, too. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's I mean, crazy. I mean, yeah. Think about even flyers, like being, you know, toughness six, um, yep. or even the heaviest ones being only toughness seven. You're dropping exactly. them at toughness point. Um, so toughness six going down to toughness five. Yep. Standard tower weaponry strength five. Yep. So you're reliably wounding on fours at least, and yeah. that's standard pulse. Um, that halo shots coming in, you're gonna you're gonna knock that flyer out. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's awesome. It's an it's an it's awesome nice. awesome rule, and it makes him super super worth taking. Mm. Um, so yeah, and and you know he's one of those great characters where you never have to feel bad about taking him because he's such a cool character too. He's like the Tau Sly Marbo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Um, that being said, you know I think that rounds out the HQ choices here. I think. Um, you know, this was a deep dive. I think we, we really went deep into like the lore of some of these. And I, and I, I love that. I think that, um, HQ choices, if anything, deserve a bit of a, a dive into their stories and their backgrounds and stuff. I'll totally. Um, There's such yeah. rich characters in that. Yeah. Um, so that's HQ choices. We are almost done getting through this entire codex. Uh, we basically just have, uh, flyers and, uh, the tide wall to talk about. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, we will get to those in a future episode. But um, for now, that's the HQ choices. Um, send us a message on Discord if you'd like us to talk about anything in particular. Noel and I are always looking for excuses to talk to one another. Yes, we are. Uh, <laughs> so uh, thank you so much for listening. And um, thank you again so much, Noel, for joining me today. Again, always a pleasure, my man. <laughs> yeah, and uh, until next time, talk to you later. Stay awesome.